Ladies and gentlemen, hello, hi, wow. Thanks for joining us. Very warm welcome. Thank you. Please sit down. Boy, what an exciting show this evening, a special show live from our studio, the stars of the Airline Pilot Guys show, APG, Captain Jeff and his crew. Ed, have you, uh, have you heard of these guys? No, haven't heard of them. Uh, you probably don't get out much more, do you, after the divorce? No? Okay, well, anyways, listen, fantastic program, really creative producers. I absolutely love it. It's, uh, it's everything aviation, everything aviation, news, events, interviews. They're not as good as mine, but that's okay. It's their show. They can do whatever they want, I suppose. Ed, can I tell you something, though? I've, I've got to tell you. I have always enjoyed flying. But I am equally amazed at how they know how to fly those things. Poor Captain Jeff, though. I, I do feel bad for him. Poor guy has been shoveling coal on the Mad Dog for 30 years, long enough to contract black lung disease. I'm told he's been doing this for so long that he holds the first printed pilot license and took lessons from the Wright brothers. He's, he's been doing this for so long that the navigational charts he uses were drawn on clay tablets. I've always wanted to be a pilot. Yeah, Ed, do you, know, do you know this? I've always wanted to be a pilot. But do you know what I'd do, though? I'd get on the cabin microphone every few minutes, and I'd just start screaming. <laughs> Anyways, here they are. Will you please welcome the stars of the Airline Pilot Guy show, Captain Jeff and his crew. Airline Pilot Guy episode 386. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host Captain Jeff broadcasting live from Studio 4K at the Residence Inn in Philadelphia. Today's show is recorded on the 8th of August, 2019. episode, a Navy pilot dies when his jet crashes in Death Valley, California, and a British airline fills a disruptive passenger 85,000 pounds. More news, your feedback, and in today's plane tales, I am a dead man. So get all settled in, tray tables and seatbacks in the upright and locked position, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 386 is ready for pushback. Thanks, Radio Roger. You know, he's a real-life radio professional in the biggest media market in the world, New York City. Thanks for doing that again for us, Roger. And uh, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy. It's an aviation podcast where we talk about, well, yeah, you guessed it, aviation news and commentary and cover your feedback. I'm a pilot for a major U.S. legacy carrier and here to help me talk about news and feedback from her lakeside studio in South Carolina, the doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot. She's Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. It is so good to see you. Feels like we haven't done this for a little while now for some reason, Um, at least not in this format where we're all back in our respective studios and going to do a normal show. Looking forward to it. I am as well, and also joining us, 
from his studio in the English countryside, a professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, a former captain for an international airline based in London, Captain Nick. Well, hello, Jeff. Uh, and this does look smart with your new software. And here we all are, all going jazz hands. It looks fantastic. Looking forward to a great show and uh, some great content this week. Absolutely, it's good to uh, it's good to be back in the uh, normal routine of things. A little bit different, as you just mentioned. We are using a new streaming software because the uh, Google Hangouts on Air was discontinued, and uh, so uh, we're kind of testing a couple different uh, streaming platforms. But this one here uh, seems to be working pretty well. It's uh, by StreamYard, and uh, our producer Liz is the one that stumbled upon this one and suggested that we give it a try. And we've done it, a few uh, test runs with it, and uh, we like it. So kind of reminds me a little bit of the uh, uh, few episodes that we did using Blab, which shows mm-hmm. all of our... And if you're listening to the audio only, you'll have to uh, go to the show notes, click on the um, the video, and or go to our YouTube channel, Airline Pilot Guy, and then you can see uh, what it looks like. And uh, we're all... Uh, in view here, not just one of us speaking at a time. So I think that's kind of nice. I like this uh, kind of style. I miss the uh, high fives from Blab. Do you remember that? Like oh, just yeah, like... yeah. <laughs> that that, that sometimes wasn't got out of hand a little bit. Yeah, it was a little crazy. <laughs> yeah, because Steph always, and they, like it counted the number of yeah, it was likes like five or high billion fives. And, high fives. And, yeah, and Steph was always like way ahead of everybody else. And, we didn't really like that. I didn't have to do Who can blame her? Here, I, yeah. know, I know. I, I used to give Steph an awful lot of votes. Yes. Very good. <laughs> okay. So uh, I'm, I, I don't know about you all, but um, the last week or so, I've been kind of a, a little bit let, uh, on a letdown, I guess you'd call it. It's just like had such a great couple of weeks uh, when – Nick came over from London, and then we did the show in the basement, and then dro- drove up to. Uh, we had a great time on our road trip, uh, driving up to Lexington and visiting the big ass fan factory, and going to the U.S. Air Force Museum, and seeing all the great people there, and then eventually getting the RV and driving it up to Oshkosh, and then that wonderful week up there in Oshkosh, it was like, oh, okay, it's all, it's all over now. Um, can't wait to do it again. But how are you all feeling? Oh, very much the same. Yeah, I got back and uh, all of a sudden it was back to uh, normality with a big bump. Uh, no more, uh, you know, rocking up and drinking lots of beer with friends and uh, dashing around the air show. No more uh, sitting down uh, yakking for hours on end as we drove our way from city to city uh, and having a lot of laughs on the on the road uh, and meeting some interesting people, very interesting people and staying in some very interesting places. <laughs> Uh, I love some of those. Uh, it was great. Uh, so, yeah, it's always a shame when uh, something as fun as that comes to an end. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I don't know that I had much time to feel like I was on a letdown like that because it was just right back straight into work and I've been super busy as usual doing all of that. So right. just smack back into normal life. And um, it was nice to have the week off. I mean, it was... Um, Usually I feel like on vacation, I'm trying to hit so many different places all at once. It was nice just to be in one spot and have everyone there. And, you know, the added bonus of it being just Oshkosh and just super uh, 
amazing i don't even have the right words for what oshkosh is it's it's crazy you know just yep. the the scope of it the amount of aircraft that are there the amount of people that are there the air shows that go on the workshops the talks everything it was just amazing so uh yeah a little bummed not to have that go on just you know all the time i could just live that way uh <laughs> but not that would really become the real new life. normal probably not yeah i could i could have that just be the new normal it's yeah. fine well you know i was, uh, it was rv and oh i'm sorry i said i could live out of an rv and you know just that might get a little old after a while. Drink beer and hang out with friends and <laughs> yeah. talk airplanes. Yeah. Well, when it got old, you could drive your RV to other friends. That's right. There you go. There you go. Um, I was going to say something. I just don't remember what it was. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no. Well, uh, I know what it was. I was going to say, I, I kind of felt the way the same way. You know, it was kind of nice to be home and sleep in my own bed. But I only did that for one night because uh, I noticed um, I was looking at the Acme scheduling app or thing that we use to uh, see what's going on as far as trip coverage and that kind of thing. I had the week off and I was not in a big hurry to go out and start flying again, but I did notice that they were starting to, the because of the staffing levels and some of some thunderstorms and that kind of thing, they were handing out green slips, which is uh, double time flying and uh, not double time flying, double pay flying. And I ended up snagging a four day trip. So that wow. worked out pretty well. Sounds very lucrative. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. So fill the piggy bank back up after you yeah, spend all your money on vacation. Depleted right? a little bit, so uh, it all uh, definitely helps. But uh, anyway, um, hmm. well, I came back with a big rash as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. With a rash? I'm sorry. A big rash. Oh. Oh, I uh, thought you said rash too. It's like they make oh, an for that, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, oh, I hope uh, I didn't touch it. The woods, of, woods of Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> no, a few mozzie bites, but uh, no, uh, I, I straight back into uh, um, doing all the things I normally do, but everything had backed up, of course. So, you know, having skipped a couple of weeks, you know, it's not like that time just disappears. All the things you were. Uh, normally doing and uh, now compressed into uh, the very short time after so i've uh, done a, a bunch of uh, photo shoots uh, and been working very hard to get those photographs out uh, working extremely hard to process all the pictures that i had taken uh, at oshkosh and i've only put a fraction of them out on the social meds uh and there are more there I, I could put up if i wanted to so all that's been uh been great fun but busy and uh then the bowling season is still in full swing and uh sadly uh, uh having missed three weeks of matches uh i came back a bit rusty and uh promptly got knocked out of three competitions on the trot so oh. <laughs> that hasn't gone well but there you go that's that's life i don't mind hey i have an, uh, some advice for you uh, to cut down on all the post editing of pictures and that kind of thing, don't take so many. <laughs> yeah, trouble was it was it was a pitch around every corner, wasn't there? So yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. there were so many different and uh, great things to capture. It was very hard not to bring that camera up to my eye all the time and snap away. It was brilliant. Ah, some great photos. You just have to yeah. make it like the old days where you just had a disposable camera and like a limited number of actual shots to take yeah. so you have to make them good ones because you don't even know what you're actually going to get yeah, no. I don't understand. what is what is this yeah. disposable <laughs> camera thing you mean you t you you use your camera and throw it away i don't understand well, you take it to the <laughs> developer or uh, whatever the processor first mm -hmm. and then they wow. and then away. they would throw it away yeah for you and oh, then you just have your picture that sounds awfully expensive <laughs> it was 
Very expensive. Yeah, kind of. It actually was. It's way cheaper now. Um, anywho. And the photos are so much better. Yeah. So you, you notice that we don't have Dana with us tonight. Um, his lovely, beautiful wife, uh, Julie, it's her birthday today. So he had uh, something special planned to celebrate her birthday. So hopefully he'll be able to join us next time. And I received a couple of things in the snail mail at our P.O. box. Uh, you can find that information on the website. And one, and I hope it's okay, uh, is um, is uh, Captain Craig with us in the chat room? I'm not sure. But he um, sent me a nice little package, a private note as well. Uh, it was a... Uh, a history picture history book of acme airlines and uh and i'll read a little bit of his note here it says captain jeff first of all thank you thank you for being an inspiration to me and many others in the abg community i first started to listen to catholic pilot uh, which was his first podcast listening experience after earning my private pilot certificate in the summer of 2013 i worked my way all the way through the podcast to help learn more about the industry Summer of 2013, this is all happening when he got his private pilot certificate. Um, now, at uh, as of this writing, I will be taking my first OE trip as a captain on the 14th. I think this was last month, 14th of July. Thanks to you and Captain Nick for being great role models for us young pups. I know you just about have little to no listeners. Oh, I know you jest about having little to no listeners and barely maintaining 50% accuracy. But for me, and I'm sure many others, you have been very influential. Uh, he says his grandparent-in-laws uh, are antiquers, and they love picking around at different shops and flea markets, and they found the book that he uh, gave me as a gift. So anyway, I just wanted to mention uh, that uh, Captain Craig now, I think he's got a couple of trips under his belt already, um, and let's see, so it's the summer of 2019. So in six years, he went from being a private pilot to being a regional airline captain, which is just amazing to me. And uh, we're so that is great progress and great incredible. dedication, uh, Craig, to have kept your nose to the grindstone and uh, kept on improving and, you know, until you made the the step up to uh, getting four stripes. That's fantastic. Well yep. done. And it's, he's not at the end of his journey yet because I'm sure that he's going to want to get on with uh, uh, one of the major carriers sometime oh, yeah. in the we future. We know he's definitely got, definitely has goals. Yes. Still so, to achieve. So, and uh, he's a, he's a big part of our community and uh, we love him very much. And uh, thank you for, uh, I'm glad that we could be a positive influence to you and to others out there. And uh, it just, you know, a note like that really, you know, means a lot to us. So absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. Also, now several times, uh, Nick, um, during this two week road trip and Oshkosh thing, um, you would come up to me like behind me and, uh, oh, I don't want to go into too many risque details, but, um, <laughs> I I'd hear the, where's I'd, this going? <laughs> I'd hear us <laughs> stuff's going, uh Oh, um, uh, I, I'm still in that package, but I, I, I hear this sound. Oh, I got to take it out. <laughs> What? Uh, hang on. I'm so confused. You mind if I? If you're, if you, you mind if I whip this confused, thing out? <laughs> I am also confused and a little bit terrified of what might okay, be coming. Here we go. There. And I'd, I'd, I'd hear a sound. I'd hear Nick coming near me, <laughs> and, and I hear this. You hear that? Uh huh. 
Yep. Yeah. I hear that. Uh, this It's a challenge coin. And ah. several people have given us several of these individual coins. I guess the, the thing is you have to actually have these things on your person when a person like Nick comes up and... <laughs> And guess what? If I can't produce the challenge coin, because he's challenged me, challenging me to show him that I have this coin in my pocket, well, then I owe him a beer. And apparently I owe Nick a lot of beer. Uh, well, but, even the bloke that gave us some of those coins, Armando, <laughs> he gave us all a coin, a yeah. special engraved one. He couldn't produce his own. I was, yes, that's I happened a couple times between me and Armando. Armando, there I think you, you owe me some beers. Exactly right. Well, these are heavy. I mean, I keep it in my wallet. They're really heavy. Okay. <laughs> okay. This is what the little coin pocket on your jeans is made for. Uh, to keep my, your challenge coin. Uh, in. My pants would fall off if I carried all these. It fits coins. in my wallet <laughs> right next to my um, tile thing, so that I can locate my wallet if uh, I happen to misplace. Maybe it. I just need well, to get a special challenge coin wallet. <laughs> Yes. I think what we probably need is an APG challenge coin, Ooh. and that's the one that we challenge each other with, yes, rather than so. other people's challenge coins. Okay, well, I'll leave you in charge of that. <laughs> um, so, anyway, I received this from, and we've received gifts from Mike Cochran in the past. You know those really nice uh, Yeti yes. insulated mugs uh, that you see quite often uh, at at meetups. Um, and you see one in uh, the old curmudgeon's hand there. Uh, Absolutely, nice full of iced coffee tonight. Very good. Very uh, tasty. Mine is on the desk behind me, except that I'm not at home, but that's where it would be if I were at home. Um, so I re received this in the mail from Mike. Captain Jeff and crew, good day, y'all. I hope this letter finds all of you well. I'm up in New Jersey at the time of this writing and just completed my second aircraft type rating in the Hawker 800 XPI at... CAE, which is uh, Columbia, uh, South Carolina. Although the instructors gave me some small corrections here and there, as they do for most pilots, I was really pleased with my performance throughout the training process and check ride. I'll be flying for the same company, but starting in the third week of July, I'll be transferred to the international side of the house. The company that I work for has three medically equipped Hawker 800s that fly globally. I will mostly be flying travelers who fall ill or get injured back to the United States and where the airlines would not be a practical way to get them home. I thought it would be ni a nice gesture to give the patients a token to remember their trip by... Uh, to, okay, let me read that sentence again. I thought it would be ni a nice gesture to give the patients a token to remember their trip by and came up with the accompanying challenge coin. And of course, with all that you and the crew do to keep me inspired and keeping my eye on my career goals... I would like you all to have one too. So he sent four of these challenge coins. So you guys have to remind me to uh, to give uh, you a challenge coin. Uh, Brilliant. Yeah. So um, I he says, I will still be based in Birmingham, Alabama, and we'll try to catch up with you next time you are all in town. The beer is on me. Be safe tra traveling up to Oshkosh. I guess he sent this before we left on our trip. I wish I could be there. Sincerely, your biggest fan, Mike Cochran. And I think that you are correct, uh, Nick. I'm reading those little notes. I I took CAE to mean Kilo uh, Charlie Alpha Echo, but I think that it's actually the company that makes the simulators for... Uh, simulators, yes, yeah, that's correct. CAE. So. And there's one in oh, yeah, I used to yeah, have well, to go to one of their training Jersey. facilities uh, in Burgess Hill, to do my uh, 340 and 330 simulators. So I'm uh, well familiar with CAE. I guess they're all around the world. Yeah. 
And I dip, we dip they down are. below that 50% thing, but I think we, thank you for I was, I was just back up trying there. to bring you right back up there. Thank you. Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> can I, have you got the coin? Can I see, yeah. can I see one? Okay. Uh, let's let's like. see. Uh, it says Air Med International. Oh, Ooh. wow. Very colorful. Oh, yes, I don't nice. know if you're yeah. getting the full oh, yeah. color there. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. And then uh, the back side. Pardon me? So, so to speak. <laughs> the <Excellent>. reverse. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's very smart. Very nice. So thank you, Mike, for the challenge coins. Love it. Okay. And uh, that means I'll just be losing that much more beer. <laughs> <laughs> free beer for us, Nick. Yeah. Yeah, I've lost the free beer, except he, he hasn't bought me one yet. I don't know what's what wrong with him. Hey, we had a lot of beer in the fridge in that <laughs> yeah. RV, and it was all free we for do. you, right? This That's true. very true. I, true. I overindulged at every opportunity. <laughs> oh, yeah, we did have a lot to drink. Way more for than sure. we should have. <laughs> um, anyway. Um, and let's not go into the shots and the uh, gin and tonics and the... <laughs> especially uh, the gin and tonic. <laughs> and the banana blasters. <laughs> Oh yes, the banana pretty, blasters were good. Were tasty. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, Yum. Yeah. Okay. Any meetups between <laughs> the big giant meetup that we had in Oshkosh and mm. right now? Anybody? Not the, for me. I don't know if this qualifies as a meetup, but you know, um, Armando from Plain Talking UK is on the other side of town from me. So mm-hmm. this past Sunday... Um, those of you who listen to their show might know that he has started a job, uh, flying skydivers, uh, not at the place where I usually uh, do any skydiving. Uh, this is a smaller, uh, drop zone and they primarily do tandem skydives, but they, um, had kind of a slow day scheduled this past Sunday for various reasons. And his, uh, oh, Hillel, I'll get back to you in a moment on that. Um, <laughs> sorry, distracted by the chat room. Uh, so uh, Armando's wife was planning on doing a tandem skydive and they invited me along to go skydiving as well. So both of us made a jump from the little uh, Cessna 182 that Armando is flying for them. Oh, that nice. was a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, cool. So, so you and Megan, right? But not me. Yep. Armando, not Armando. Yes. Armando had to fly the plane. If he ah, jumped out while flying not. it, that would be problematic. <laughs> so yeah, wouldn't be good judgment at all. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we, uh, yeah. So we went up to about, um, I don't know if he actually got quite to 11,000 feet. We had a, a overcast layer at about 11,000 feet. Um, so probably somewhere between 10,000 and 10,5. And that was our exit altitude. And I did a fun jump with uh, two of the guys that work there and our instructors um, uh, for that skydiving uh, facility. And then Megan did her tandem skydive and another friend of hers was on that same load for a tandem. So it was fun. Very, very nice. So is a, uh... Armando going to jump at some point in the future? I, I think Megan's going to uh, insist that the next time she makes a tandem jump, he's going to do a tandem jump as well. Okay. I want to make sure that I get... Are you going to fly the airplane that time? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Sounds no, good. no, probably not. Well, I had... I almost forgot about this um, because it's been a, a little bit, a little while. That trip that I did, that green slip trip... Um, I was in Atlanta waiting to go to Louisville, Kentucky, uh, Stanford Field, SDF. And a gentleman came up to me and he said, uh, Captain Jeff. And I thought once again, as I always do, that I must be in trouble. Oh, what happened to Nick? I don't uh, know. He I, just I disappeared. Clicked. Oh, he's back. <laughs> I was experimenting. I clicked on something I shouldn't. <laughs> Sorry. Kids, I didn't know. don't, I didn't don't know. touch something unless you know what it's going to do. 
It's that newfangled I, technology. I didn't right. know how to get back. Well, yeah. well now I'm I've sorry, superseded though. you. I have your position now. Oh, that's how oh, you yeah, do it. Yeah, the that's, pole position. Right, okay, cool. <laughs> anyway. I, I'm where I should be, number three. <laughs> so uh, I was uh, in the gatehouse area waiting for the uh, inbound flight to come in, and we uh, were going to fly it to Louisville, uh, Kentucky. And I believe this was on the 1st of August. And a gentleman, a very tall man, came, comes up to me, and I'm thinking, oh, what did I do wrong now? And he said, Captain Jeff? And I said, yes. And he said, hi, I'm an APG listener, and his name, Ken Sellers, and he was traveling with his wife, uh, Elisa, Elisa, and uh, they, actually, no, he wasn't. Uh, she was still in Louisville. He was traveling by himself back from a business trip, I believe, and uh, he was on that flight. So I said, oh, that's great. Uh, you know, maybe we can do something when we get to Louisville. And so I met up with him and his wife, Elisa, uh, at a little restaurant, a little Mexican cantina right across the street from the Embassy Suites that we stay in uh, downtown Louisville. Had a wonderful dinner, and um, my first officer joined us as well. And Ken was so nice, he picked up the tab for our dinner. I was going to pay for everything, and he beat me to it. So thank you, Ken. It was very nice meeting you and your wife and hope to uh, have some more meetups with you in the future. He has a uh, Cessna Cardinal, uh, non-RG, uh, based in uh, Ooh, I think nice. Field or something like that in the Louisville area. So uh, a very, very nice uh, time uh, discussing aviation and such. And uh, so I wanted to mention that. I, as I said, I almost forgot. I'm thinking, wait a minute, it seems like I had a meetup, but it wasn't a planned one. It was just a spur of the moment thing. In fact, he he was sitting in first class and um, didn't have a chance to say goodbye to Ken um, because the APU was not working on the airplane. And I basically said, we're going to keep the engine, one engine running until they connect external air because it was very warm outside. And so had the door in because the engine's still running, we're not allowed to open up the door to say goodbye uh, until everything's shut down and we've run our shutdown checklist. And... So when all that happened, you know, he was one of the first to get off the airplane. And by the time we were finally off the airplane, I was looking around. I didn't see him. And uh, luckily he knew where we laid over. And I wasn't sure I was going to see him because I didn't have his, you know, I didn't think to get his telephone number or anything. And uh, when we uh, got together, the first officer and I to uh, grab a bite to eat, he, uh, Ken, and his wife were there in the hotel lobby and worked out perfectly. So that's my story. Fabulous. Where did you go to eat? Somewhere nice? No, it was just a little uh, Mexican cantina right across the street from... Oh, that was when you took yourself out of the uh, out of the show. <laughs> you probably yes. didn't hear me talking about that. Yeah, it was a, um, a little Mexican place. Uh, that, uh, cool. Pretty good. Sounds really nice. Yeah. I love so, those unplanned meetups. Yeah, me too. Spontaneous things. Honestly, you know, I was... I, I didn't... Uh, I picked it up last minute and I was thinking, it would be, you know, especially after... 10 days at Oshkosh and all the other meetups in the last, you know, the preceding two weeks, I was not really thinking that, you know, doing a, uh, like a planned meetup was in the, uh, in the cards. And I just wanted to kind of go and relax and have a, a regular layover. And, uh, I got a chance to do that the day before we ended up uh, getting into Greensboro late at night. And, uh, we were there in Greensboro all day the next day. And Greensboro, by the way, is very close to this um, airport called Triad. Uh, and we all know mm, some folks yes. that are air traffic controllers there. And um, uh, one, one said, or one um, 
uh, air traffic controller that some of us have met and uh, know very well, um, was working the radar that night when we came in. Uh, I guess it was about 1130-ish at night, something like that. And uh, so that was kind of fun to uh, uh, be told what to do by this young man. Got bossed around a little bit. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. He helped us uh, uh, get set up for a visual approach and uh, worked out well. We didn't crash, so that's a good thing. Perfect. Was that down to him? I think so, yeah. If it hadn't been for him, you know, who knows, really. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, so I guess a couple things happened on that trip now that I'm kind of rattling the uh, the cobwebs of my brain. And uh, this this trip so far has been very... Um, uneventful, which is the way I like it. It's a four-day trip. We're on day three, uh, one leg, one and done tomorrow morning uh, from Philadelphia back to Atlanta, then off for the weekend. So there you have it. Um, oh, looks like you must be experiencing an earthquake or something, Nick. You're, 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 looks like the whole room's shaking or something. I didn't realize just, that England was prone to earthquakes. <laughs> I'm just playing. Oh, God, here we go again. Oh, oh no. no. Oh, no. Oh, let me uh, guess. You're using eyeglasses? Uh, I was just centering my screen. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And by centering, you were like focused on your bookshelves over there for a while. Like <laughs> well, I was, zoomed in. I was showing us everyone my big ass. I've got two big asses. <laughs> He's is, talking about these little donkeys. Yes. This is one. And I, I have come back and one of my big asses has my Oshkosh windsock on it. Oh. So, have you Have you spotted mine? It's lurking. Your, your big ass. Oh, I do see yes. it back there in the background. Next right. to the Chihuahua from yeah. which Van Ram brought that? Um, I no, I can't remember. Oh probably Tim. Tim. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Or maybe Mark. One, maybe Mark. One yeah. of them. <laughs> they were kind enough to uh, bring me a taco dog. Oh, nice. Taco Bell Chihuahua. Looks very nice. So, yes. Now they live back there, so you can see their little silhouettes. When the very cool. Oh, I go. got them. I can see mm -hmm. it now. All right. Well, I think uh, anything else we want to talk about before we talk about our fine Coffee Fund Cadre members? No, I'm good. Yeah, let's talk about them. Okay, let's do it. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Okay, the Coffee Fund is your way to help us financially. And we have a lot of you out there, listeners, that uh, uh, want to feel like uh, they own part of this uh, operation for some reason. I don't know why they would want to, but we're glad that they do want to do that. And uh, it's called the Coffee Fund. And to join it, you... Uh, Go over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee and you can learn all about how to become a Coffee Fund Cadre member. Let me turn down the volume a little bit. Here we go. Um, since the, well, it's been several episodes actually since I've mentioned those who have contributed to our show. Um, let's start with the Patreon uh, way of contributing. Uh, again, that's Patreon. You can become a patron of the show by specifying a certain, certain amount per episode. And I'm going back quite a ways, sometime in mid-July. So here we go. We have uh, several new producers. Colton Norman, Aaron Kiefer, H.H., 
Mario Barboza, Rich McKinney, Nick Wilson, John Feldman, Jazz B, Jose Quezada, Patrick Bliss, and uh, Eric Wolf. Actually, he's been a member of our uh, cadre for a little bit, but he doubled his patronage. And uh, so we went from $1 to $2 per episode. So thank you, Eric, and all of you new producers. Next level is the executive producer level, uh, $5 or more per episode. And we have uh, three new ones here, Chris Knight, Nathan Brookfield, and Daniel Thepper. And we have two new assistant senior executive producers, and that's the $10 per episode level or more. And you'll remember this gentleman, um, I think both Steph and uh, Nick, uh, remember the guy we're uh, with at the seaplane base? Tim Qualls from Arkansas? Yeah, oh, yeah. Arkansas. Yes. And Great guy. He is, Great uh, place. Yeah, Loved his mustache. Mustache, yeah. yeah. The mustache was the best. I think he has, uh, he sent us some uh, audio or some feedback as well. So hopefully we'll get a chance to read it. Number um, 14. Yeah, great. And then also another one, uh, David Russell. So we have two new assistant senior executive producers. So thank you, guys and gals, for becoming patrons of the show. And the other way that you can participate in the Coffee Fun Cadre is via the PayPal Classic method. And I had this set up before I started the show, but apparently I closed that tab. So. Uh, hang in there with me for a second here. I'm going to pull that up. Again, that's uh, your way to make a one-time co- contribution or a recurring uh, contribution to the show. And we call it the uh, APG Coffee Fund Cadre Classic Method. And I believe I'm finally on the right page. And I'm going to have to scroll down because there have been several people who have used the uh, Classic Method for contributing and I believe I am there now. Richard Adams uh, made uh, gave us a contribution of Borg Letangen. It's got one of those fancy um, O's with a slash through it. Not sure exactly how you'd pronounce that, but I'm going to say Borg Letangen. Um, Terry Lou, a recurring payment. Richard Bell. Did you know that Richard Bell gave us a contribution of $125? <gasps> Whoa. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Hey, brilliant. And what a generous chap. Rick, we call him Rick, Major Rick. And Chris Randall, a recurring payment, also recurring payment from David Lieb. Um, oh, here's another one. Frederick Sampson. Have you ever heard of this guy? Fred Sampson. Uh, I've heard of him. He gave as well. us $100. <gasps> oh, brilliant. Uh, to help you guys. with um, yeah, the, uh, the whole so Oshkosh much. thing. Um, Hillel gave us a nice contribution as well. Uh, Thank you, Helen. Actually, he was in the chat room a minute ago. He is, and it sounds like maybe we'll have a meetup this weekend. So. Oh, sweet. See you then, Hillel. Uh, let's see. These two were PayPal here. Those were for the shirts. Uh, Randy Ward, Vignir Orngwanison. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> Jason Kuntz, Armando Carrion, a $50 contribution from Armando. Thank uh, you. Uh, Alistair Kerr, Randolph Ackerman, Jeff Muller, uh, his monthly recurring payment, and a payment from Mazus Karim of $25. So if you want to join them all, head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did, and we will too. Stand by for news. 
Okay, the headline from theweek.com, or actually arrowtime.arrow. Um, U.S. Navy declares death of pilot in F-18 Star Wars Canyon crash. After a day of searching, the U.S. Navy announced the death of a pilot of a single-seat F-A-18E Super Hornet jet that crashed in Death Valley National Park, California. The incident injured seven tourists on the ground. The aircraft was part of the Vigilantes of Strike Fighter Squadron VFA-151, based at Naval Air Station Lemoore, California, and attached to the aircraft carrier USS John C. Stennis. It was on a routine training flight when the mishap occurred. According to a statement released by the NAS Lemoore, the crash happened 40 miles north of Naval Air Weapons Station China Lake on the 31st of July, 2019. The seven people injured on the ground were French tourists, all members of the same family. Uh, here's a quote from someone there at the crash. Uh, we were in front of the valley and the planes crashed around 50 meters from us. Uh, while six of them only sustained minor injuries due to the shrapnel from the crash, a woman had to be transported to a local hospital after suffering burns on her back. A search operation was started to retrieve the pilot. A witness said to the Associated Press that he did not see any sign of an ejection. On August 1st, 2019, Navy spokesperson Lydia Bach announced the death of the pilot. An investigation into the cause of the incident has been opened. The crash happened near one of the most famous plane spotting locations in the, in the United States, the Rainbow Canyon. It is popularly referred to as the Star Wars Canyon due to its resemblance to the fictional planet of Tatooine or to the maneuvers of the pilots, which reminds some that can be seen uh, in the movie. This place is especially popular among tourists and aviation enthusiasts as it allows them to observe flights of military aircraft at an exceptionally low altitude. The United States Air Force even refers to it as the Jedi transition in its official documentation. And then uh, in the show notes, we'll include a link to this PDF, which is actually the official documentation of this um, transition, R2508 Complex User's Handbook. So you can take a gander at that if you'd like. Um, yeah, some, some are speculating that perhaps this very experienced Navy fighter pilot uh, perhaps experienced a G loss of consciousness, consciousness a G lock, because it is a pretty aggressive maneuvering to get yourself a very pretty tight turn and a very steep dive and, and a lot of G forces involved to get the airplane situated into the canyon at the beginning of the run. Uh, but as I said, no, nobody really knows at this point. It's just all speculation. It is, but I'm going to be a bit of a killjoy here and say there are a few places in the world where aircraft um, are regularly photographed doing fairly dramatic things. Uh, there's the famous Mac Loop uh, in Wales, which is one of the, um, it's not as dramatic, I suspect, as uh, this canyon, uh, but it's uh, it's a nice series of valleys that is a great training uh, area for uh, military pilots in the UK. This is obviously one in the States. 
There's a couple of airfields where even civil airliners can make approaches that bring them extremely close to the general public, and they're frequently photographed doing that. Uh, and my word of caution is that pilots uh, can sometimes be tempted to uh, fly the aircraft uh, perhaps a little lower, a little faster, a little more impressively than they would normally consider doing, knowing that uh, they're there in the public's eye and they're likely to get some very impressive photographs as a result. And my word of caution is nothing is worth risking your life for, certainly not a photograph on social media. And I'm praying that that's not the case uh, with this particular accident. I really am. And uh, for those guys who do um, partake in making approaches into those uh, situations or flying around these various training uh, valleys or good valleys for training, uh, I, you know, an old man here sitting going, please don't uh, make a mess of it. One, it could be appalling for you or your family. Uh, and even if you survive, then there's your career to consider, as well as the people on the ground. And uh, pressing uh, to test is just not worth it. No, it's not. Of course, it could have been a, a mechanical issue. Uh, it may oh, have yeah, been some I'm other... not saying that was <laughs> yeah. the cause. Exactly right. But I'm just saying that it's, it's, a, it's a coincidence. It could well be just a coincidence. Could be, yeah. All right, well, uh, as soon as we find out something about it, we'll certainly talk about it on our show. Uh, in the meantime, though, or girls. All right. Uh, this uh, happened at Stansted Airport uh, some time ago. Um, Steph, you want to talk about it or you want me to? I would be happy to. Okay. Um, so this is from the BBC News. And this is a woman who allegedly caused a flight to be diverted to due to extremely disruptive behavior, in quotes, has been given an 85,000 pound bill by an airline. The flight to Dalaman in Turkey was redirected back to Stansted Airport on the 22nd of June. So a couple months ago. A 25-year-old woman from Maidenhead in Berkshire was arrested on suspicion of common assault, criminal damage, and endangering an aircraft. Uh, airline Jet 2 said she had been billed 85,000 pounds and given a lifetime ban. The woman attempted to open the aircraft doors during the flight and displayed a catalog of aggressive, abusive, and dangerous behavior before being restrained by staff and passengers, according to the airline. Uh, Steve, how do you say that name? Heepy? Yeah. Chief executive of Jet2 uh, said that her behavior had been one of the most serious cases the airline had experienced. He said she must now face up to the consequences of her actions and we will vigorously pursue to recover the costs that we incurred as a result of this divert, as we do with all of our disruptive passengers. The flight was escorted into land by RAF Typhoon jets with residents reporting their houses shaking due to a sonic boom. Boom. <laughs> Okay. Boom, boom, shake the room. Uh, yeah, of course, uh, military aircraft are usually given permission to go supersonic overland, something that's not normally occurs when they're positioning themselves to intercept uh, an aircraft that they might need to escort. So, yeah, and of course, that in itself can cause a lot of damage. Mm -hmm. I've broken a few windows uh, myself, I'm sure. And they hate doing it, I'm yes. sure. Yeah, yeah, well... Exactly right. We wouldn't want to do that. 
But uh, yeah, eighty-five thousand pounds is a fair whack of your, uh, your you know, your savings. So uh, I've no doubt uh, this lady is now uh, really regretting her actions on that aircraft. I hope so. Yeah, you would hope so. I feel like sometimes people who behave like that don't have the same capacity for regret that perhaps the rest of us might. But ooh, no, yes, good point. Um, Nick. Item D, would you like to uh, talk about that one? Yeah, this is um, about, uh, you've given it because of the name of the airline, haven't you? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I, I would it, say Air New, New, New Guinea. New, it's Air New Guinea. New Guinea? Okay. Yeah. Okay, it's the extra I in there. Sure. I know, it's, it throws me off too. Because it's, yeah. it's in Papua New Guinea. Oh, okay, so. that makes sense. Oh, Air right. New Guinea. All right. So the, some pilots uh, blamed and botched rescue exposed in... Uh, uh, Chuk plane crash, and it's from the Independent. Uh, uh, a New Guinea crew took their cabin baggage out of stricken plane, and one passenger was allowed back in to retrieve his shoes. Well, that's the taster for the story. So it was 737 crash in the Micronesian island of uh, Chuk has been blamed, or the pilots of this 737 be blamed for the crash that cost the life of one passenger. And remarkably, only one passenger because it was a pretty dreadful uh, incident. Yeah, it was uh, back in uh, September 2018. Uh, Andy Guinea aircraft crashed in the lagoon as it tried to land for an intermediate stop on its journey uh, to Port Moresby. The flight had 35 passengers and 12 crew, so luckily it wasn't uh, particularly full. Initially, it was believed that all the passengers uh, had survived, but uh, a second search. Um, carried out three days later by Japanese divers, discovered a body. Uh, the report by the Papua New Guinea Accident Investigation Commission said the plane landed 1,500 feet short of the runway threshold. The captain and first officer ignored a total of 17 audible warnings that they were flying too low. So the aircraft was doing its best to tell them what they were cocking up and... They appear to have disregarded. The report says exactly that. The crew seemed to have disregarded and talked over all the caution enunciations. The crew had experienced those type of cautions on previous flights and perceived them as nuisance alerts with no resultant consequence. On their previous flight the day before, the two men had done exactly the same. The flight crew did not take corrective action to bring the aircraft back onto the required flight path. The crew disregarded and continuously talked over the oral alerts. Uh, as the plane approached on the day of the crash, both pilots were not situationally aware and did not recognize the developing significant unsafe condition during the approach. The 52-year-old captain was from Papua New Guinea, had 20,000 hours. That's good experience. Mm -hmm. He was at the controls and, according to the report, prepared for landing at an excessively a high rate of descent, and the aircraft incre was increasingly flown below the glide slope in an unstabilized manner. Not good. The Australian first officer, 35-year-old, failed to take control from the captain when it became apparent that the aircraft was in danger. The co-pilot's final words before impact were, too low, we're too low, we're too low, we're too low. Uh, well, I suspect if the captain wasn't listening to any of the aircraft's oral warnings, he probably wasn't listening to the first officers either. Uh, an engineer was also on the flight deck and filmed the whole descent on his phone. Good Lord. And uh, the passenger who perished was not wearing his seatbelt 
which allowed his body to become a projectile, sustaining traumatic head and facial injuries, the report concluded. So what he was doing on approach, not strapped in, uh, I have no idea. Um, immediately after the crash, there was confusion over what to do. Crab and crew stated during their interviews that during the evacuation, they shouted the word evacuate, but it appeared that some of the passengers did not understand what that meant. Uh, they then shouted the phrase, get out, repeatedly, which the passengers appeared to understand and followed. Several of the passengers took their cabin baggage with them. Oh, we've gone over this <laughs> over and over again. And uh, we're just trying to get the word out, folks. Uh, it's an emergency. Get yourself out, your baggage. You can always buy more stuff. Stuff isn't important. Um so against uh, instructions, uh, uh, one of the members of the cabin crew retrieved a handbag before ex exiting the aircraft, not setting a very oh, good example. Lovely. Lovely. The yeah. loadmaster employed, uh, well, who was traveling the flight, uh, he carried his backpack, clipboard and shoes off the aircraft, so he obviously wasn't listening either. Uh, astonishingly, U.S. Navy divers who are helping with the rescue allowed a passenger to re-enter the aircraft and move forward to retrieve his shoes. Well, I, um, you know, if someone's intent on putting themselves in danger, I'm not quite sure what position the U.S. Navy divers were in to stop him. So uh, that I don't think necessarily the blame can be put on them. The blame is definitely on the individual who wanted to re-enter a sinking aircraft. Uh, some, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I quite agree, Jeff. Some <laughs> cabin crew acted with conspicuous courage, which is more what we like to hear. To rescue passengers, one found a seriously injured passenger underwater in the aisle and lifted him above water level, and with the assistance of another member of cabin crew, hauled him to an overwing exit. Another passenger was found still strapped into his seat and was dragged to the same exit. So excellent job from those. Um, the report says that... Uh, the um, didn't the report says the Papua New Guinea Civil Aviation Safety Authority did not meet the high standard of evidence-based assessment required for safety assurance, resulting in numerous deficiencies in areas. So it sounds like they weren't being well regulated. This particular airline. Um, Unless action is taken to address the identified safety deficiencies, death or injury might result in future actions. Well, I think they were extremely lucky not to have uh, deaths, uh, more deaths and more injuries on this one because, honestly, landing 1,500 feet short of the runway in a lake uh, is usually a tantamount to disaster. Um uh, and uh, it's interestingly, uh, the, they just happened to mention what relevance this has. I don't know. The aircraft was involved in a ground collision at Jackson International Airport. Well, that doesn't appear to have a lot of relevance, re relevance, but it was owned by Iceland Air, interestingly. Hmm. So presumably they had subletted or something. I'm not quite sure how that happened. But an absolute litany of um, poor, poor flying skills, poor behavior, poor adherence to... Uh, regulations and standard procedures, poor flying, poor awareness, lots of pause in there and not much in the way of redeeming uh, comments in this report. Yeah, when you think about how uh, an, emer an emergency of any type should go, say there's been an accident or a crash, even putting aside all of the stuff that led up to that point, uh, nothing quite went right after that either, sounds like, except for 
luckily they there were not a whole lot of uh just the one fatality so absolutely I think there was and a lot of luck involved in, in you this have to one. say that fatality uh, if he wasn't strapped in and uh, it may not have been a fatality at all it may have just been exactly right they yeah. may have, everyone might have got away if the guy had just done his damn safety belt up well and it's it's a uh, you know there was a let me back up and say that again the, there's a fatality involved with that obviously with that the gentleman who did not or lady i'm not sure i think it was a man who didn't wear his seatbelt. Mm -hmm. um but aside from putting himself in obviously fatal harm's way he could have been putting other people in that same situation oh yeah absolutely you know? when his body becomes a projectile, yeah, projectile he could have killed someone just by landing on them so mm -hmm. yeah absolutely it's, it's not just yourself it's other people that are affected by your um you know your yep same as with the, with the luggage discipline Yes. By the way, the engineer on the jump seat who is taking the cell phone video of this uh, in the source article from the independent.co.uk, uh, that's the first thing you see when you pull up the, if you click on that link, which we'll have in the show notes, and you can watch the video um, and all the way from, uh, well, I'm not sure exactly what it's, point. It's a couple of minutes, I think, yeah. worth of the approach, right up to the point of the uh impact and crash let's see it's actually um yeah about it's actually under a minute oh, under for, a minute. at okay. least where what they have here in this article maybe the whole thing was longer uh maybe on youtube or something like that but anyway check it out uh in the show notes and you can watch the uh video of this approach i notice on the uh captain's uh, nav display uh the map display there is a very colorful display of weather uh, right in front of the airplane that they're flying through which is probably why they couldn't see the airport itself and it kept descending well below the uh, despite all descent. the audible warnings yeah just uh, amazing to me incredible oh well um continuing with uh f um a serbian man who has not been named wanted to keep the <clears throat> excuse me keep the woman in the country longer after she refused a date with him a 65 year old man has admitted making a fake bomb threat this is very much like another story that we had a, a couple of episodes ago um, but this is a different one believe it or not uh, in the hope of getting a date with a flight attendant uh, the Serbian man's telephone call caused Lufthansa's flight 1411 to be evacuated on Thursday before its takeoff from Belgrade to or Belgrade to Frankfurt. All 130 passengers and five crew members had to leave the aircraft while it was searched by a special police squad and sniffer dogs. The man who has not been named had met two flight attendants and invited them for dinner, but they refused. He confessed to the hoax in court on Saturday saying he had especially liked one of the women and after he failed to track her down at her hotel, he made a desperate bid to keep her in the country. The police traced his call after he made the threat, and he was arrested a day later. Um, yeah, so crazy people doing crazy things out there. You know, if, if you invite someone to uh, dinner or, or whatever, uh, and they refuse to uh, uh, go with you, then that should be the end of it, don't you think? Uh, uh, no, I think you should make bomb threats oh, immediately. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, apparently, Jeff, you and I are, we're, we just don't know what to do in these situations. No, apparently not. We don't know the appropriate action. <laughs> yeah. 
Whether it's uh, it was an Indian chap and his girlfriend last time, wasn't it? Who yep. wanted his, his girlfriend so. not to fly away. So I mean, same deal. Yeah. And uh, I, we we've had them uh, for exactly that reason uh, on, on my airline bomb threats being made because they want an aircraft to just stay on the ground uh, for whatever reason, and uh, it's just sheer stupidity. And well, send you to jail quite often. Mm-hmm. And it should. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Indian one, but didn't the guy get like a, a really, like a 10-year, or life sentence, I'm sorry. It was a it life was, sentence. It was. It was a, a very severe uh, yeah. penalty. Don't think the Serbian yeah. man is going to get the same treatment, but uh, perhaps he should. Mm. Okay, uh, this is item H. Two men were injured after their single-engine two-seat plane crashed Saturday on Littlefield Lake in northern Isabella County. This is in uh, Michigan. Isabella County sheriffs are investigating the crash. Um, The pilot, Tyrone Finch of Tennessee, and his passenger, Patrick Jarman of Deerfield Township, were transported to a local hospital after the crash. Jarman was later flown by helicopter to a hospital in Grand Rapids and was listed in serious conditions. Condition, excuse me. Marine deputies patrolling the area on jet skis witnessed the plane attempt to take off from the lake. Uh, When the plane became airborne, it appeared to struggle to gain altitude. Officials say the area was experiencing strong wind gusts that possibly interfered with the plane's takeoff. Deputies that uh, then observed the plane turn get stuck in a tree and take a nosedive into the water. It it didn't really get stuck in a tree. It just kind of clipped the tree uh, based on looking at the video myself. Uh, Looks like uh, they were trying to and get a little bit better climb performance than the airplane could give them and uh, ended up stalling it and plunging into the lake. Uh, well, it was the strangest takeoff path, wasn't it? Because yeah. it, was, mm-hmm. it was like they were trying to get airborne from a curved runway. They were it didn't really line up in a straight line from where they were going. And then they pointed quite close to the coast. Uh, and then uh, as they realized that they didn't have enough room, they started trying to inch the aircraft further and further to the right, uh, and it sort of got airborne, and they sort of continued to try and turn, uh, and they all just stalled and mushed into the trees and clipped a tree and flicked it around. It was all a bit of a nightmare, really. And those of you listening to this show are thinking, well, what kind of airplane was it? Um, and it was the Icon A5, a little um, light sport amphibian uh, airplane, which is a pretty cool airplane, I think. Uh, but they've mm-hmm. had several accidents um since it's fairly high profile ones too yeah unfortunately and uh, i I think in almost every case it was a pilot error uh, that Mm -hmm. caused the accidents and fatal uh incidents so and in a related note i think that i was reading somewhere or somebody maybe in one of our chat rooms was talking about the fact that uh, the company has uh pretty um significantly scaled back the uh, employee force at the company mm-hmm. uh, like half or something. Yeah, that was just recently, like last week or something or this week. Yeah, so I think. these crashes are obviously having a, an effect on the uh, on the sale of these airplanes, apparently. Which is a shame because I'm sure if you fly the aircraft within the expected envelope, within its performance capabilities, it would be a great fun aircraft to have. And uh, be absolutely super, but see, people seem to be trying to do things with it that it's not really designed for. Correct. Right. Okay. Um, item oh, J. and just as a side note, oh, I don't yes. know that. 
um, if you were going to put that um, YouTube link in the show notes, the YouTube link uh, no longer works. Just FYI. Okay. Uh, uh, the, the whoever posted it removed their account from YouTube. Oh, uh, for the for this item we're talking about, this crash. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, that's that's a shame. Yeah. Okay. So just FYI. All right. Thank you. Moving on to item J. Having to occasionally reboot a sluggish laptop after a few days of use is a minor inconvenience for a $1,000 gadget. But what about a $300 million plus commercial airline or plane? Airlines who haven't performed a recent software update on certain models of the Airbus A350 are being told they must completely power cycle the aircraft every 149 hours or risk, quote, partial or total loss of some avionics systems or functions according to IAZA. Unless being completely taken out of service for repairs or maintenance, most commercial airliners remain powered up and operational for weeks on end as they crisscross countries or the world with hefty price tags and operating costs. An airline's profitability is dependent on its fleet of planes being in service for as long as possible, even hauling passengers and cargo around the clock. Unlike a laptop, which can be power cycled in a few minutes, it can take well over half an hour to bring a powered down airliner back to being fully operational and flight ready. Uh, you know, this is not the first time that we've seen this sort of thing. I think, wasn't it the Dreamliner that was also, there was some kind of a warning that said that every so many hours they needed to completely power it down and then bring it back up again. Again, it has That's something exactly to do with right, Jeff. I feel it has something to do with the generators. Uh, but uh, my 340 uh, had a similar problem at one point. Uh, yeah, you had to uh, completely depower the aircraft, and it, but it just becomes a maintenance routine. Yeah. So once you know about it, the engineers go right. It's for us. It's just like doing a, a check on a uh, say. There's a bit of uh, damage on the fuselage where a truck drove in, and it's speed taped up. Mm-hmm. But it needs examining every. Uh, um, you know, X hours to make sure the speed tape's still intact and that the uh, the damage hasn't uh, changed in, in nature. Um, so this is, for me, this is a bit of a non-event. It's, it, the engineers are well familiar with doing this sort of thing. And, uh, you know, they, they just, every few days, they just power the aircraft down, pause, fire it back up again. It's, it's, I, and it's no yeah, big and deal. You really. know, finding a half an hour to do that is not, a, I don't think, is a big deal. Sometime during the day, an airplane's going to be on the ground long enough for that kind of thing to yeah happen. and and i think uh, a competent engineer will do it a lot quicker than that quite quite honestly right. half an hour is a bit of an overkill i mean i would expect them to be able to do it if i came on board and said oh guys uh we're going to be flying for 30 hours on these two legs so how about doing that power down i reckon it would take about 10 minutes but mm-hmm. you know and the kind of the article kind of makes it sound like you know if they don't do this it's going to like fall out, out of the sky and crash or something but not really it's just a it said some avionic systems or functions, partial or total loss. So, you know. Uh, you know, so, you need all of those uh, electronics and avionics for the airplane to actually continue flying, right? Oh, you do? Oh, no. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. The Bernoulli's theorem uh, breaks down if you don't have all your avionics. Turned That's right. Stuff. You <laughs> should right. know that. Oh, boy. And then this last one was kind of unusual, um, especially looking at the pictures of this thing. I'm not exactly sure what happened here, but... A passenger jet carrying at least 60 people crashed at Perth Airport while taxiing. Uh, the report is that the brakes failed. Uh, it was a Aero, what's, the, what's it called? Uh, it's like a BA-146 Avro regional jet. I guess it's the uh, uh, an updated version of the British Aerospace 146. 
And yeah, uh, I have a feeling it's building Canada. Is it that one? I'm not sure. I, no, I, I don't think know. It's uh, British Aerospace. Uh, is it? Makes it. Okay. I don't know. Maybe somebody bought, maybe somebody in Canada bought the thing, but I think it's still me- being made in uh, Britain. I don't know. Oh, the original, the 146 was, but oh, uh, this Maybe is, this one's not anymore. I don't know. Maybe our chat room can help us out. Do some research yeah. there. The I don't Avro, know a lot about it. The Avro, the Avro regional. regional chat. Okay. Yeah. Oh, look. They'll probably beat me to it, but. Thank you. Um, the West Australian uh, newspaper, I guess, has reported that passengers said the brakes on the jet failed as it was approaching the terminal and it rolled and crashed into a lighting structure. They said it was a massive jolt and were told not to take photos or videos as they, as they left the plane. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, that's going to stop them. <laughs> yeah. Well, somebody did because we have a nice little picture of this thing um, yeah, that crashed right into this terminal or some kind of a structure. Yeah. But, of course, it made me think of a very famous movie. Yeah, me too. Airplane. <laughs> yes, I know. I was going to blame it on the marshaler, but uh, no, no, over there. Over. <laughs> Put them over there. <laughs> yeah, oh. brilliant. So yeah, do we know? Exactly. Uh, You're still trying to figure uh, out where Avro jets are made? <laughs> Early production were built at Hatfield, which had originally been a De Havilland factory. Oh, De Havilland. That's Canadian. Uh, uh, later at Woodford Aerodrome in Greater Manchester, England. Hmm. Uh, Avro hasn't been made at all since 2001. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess it really doesn't matter, does it? There was a production line in Malaysia. I don't know. Somewhere in the world. Somewhere in the world they made these airplanes. Yes. And then one made its way to Perth and then was uh, it crashed into building yes avro rj uh also ba146 uh okay uh, national origin united kingdom all right Here so it was um yeah it was made in the uk i i'd never heard of it being called the uh avro before but uh, you're quite right it's the british aerospace uh, avro oh well i guess it really doesn't matter um, potato, potato. Yeah, we're not really sure whatever. exactly uh, whether this was a mechanical malfunction, although that's what it makes. They're making it sound like, but yeah, it could have been a, a human error as well or combination. Who knows? Okay, that does it for the news folder. Now let's move on to your feedback. Captain. Incoming message. Well, let's start off with uh, the first item from Micah and Paul Brerin. Uh, they got together. And, well, I think they talk about it in this audio feedback, so let's take a listen. Hey, it's your main man, Micah, here, and believe it or not, I'm coming to you from a Tesla. Yes, I'm inside a Tesla, but not just any Tesla. This is Paul Brayron's Tesla, and Paul is a APG listener and a real airplane geek as well as an incredible IT professional. But we were talking a little bit after some wonderful pho, and not faux pho here at this Vietnamese restaurant, but real pho. We were talking about Paul's first experience flying. Paul, welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy podcast, and tell us a little bit about what you were telling me about flying for the first time to Germany. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, over dinner. Um, thank you for doing this, by the way, and it's a real honor. That very first flight was from JFK Airport, 
and I was five years old. And I vividly remember this adventure of a lifetime going with my entire family to Germany on Lufthansa Airlines. And um, back then, I think both flights, my first one, and then again when I was 12, I believe they were both on a 707, <laughs> those skinny-looking engines now. And uh, just the magic of seeing the sun go down and come up so soon. I didn't quite figure that out on my five-year-old flight, but I figured that all out by my 12-year-old flight back to Germany that I helped pay for myself on Lufthansa. And you said that you were, an, well, an, a geek of all kinds growing up, but an airplane geek in general. And one of the things that you had an opportunity to do was to take a special trip. I think it was it with your dad. Tell us about your experience seeing the Concorde. Ah, uh, yes. That was actually my grandpa um, from Queens, New York. And I was visiting for a week, and I begged him if he could drive me to JFK Airport, not to fly anywhere, which is kind of unusual, uh, just to go watch planes. But I also knew the Concorde was there. And... Um, I don't know if we knew the schedule, but we got pretty lucky getting on top of, I believe it was the Pan Am garage. I'm not sure, but I vaguely remember a round garage. Either way, right next to the runway, like remarkably close and incredibly loud. And what do you know? We watched the Concord taxi out, stick its nose up and lift off and climb at a higher angle than we had ever seen. And the noise and the vibration in our chest was just incredible life-changing. And uh, he had a grin as well. And that just made it such a special day for me. That he enjoyed it with me and took me to JFK to see that. And boy, I'm glad he did. Well, you know, you talked about the feeling you felt in your chest as it flew over. And I remember seeing Concord once as well and how incredibly loud it was. And I was inside a terminal at the time. But you must have had that same kind of vibration in your chest and that same kind of feeling when you told me about a situation when you just arrived in Hollywood, Florida. What happened then? <laughs> Yeah, I was moving my uh, sister-in-law back to Connecticut, driving the U-Haul, but before that was going to begin, I asked, uh, hey, I noticed the space shuttle. I saw it on the launch pad as we were coming in for a landing, and I found out it's taking off in four hours. Could I borrow your car and drive up to Cape Canaveral? <laughs> um, just incredible. Uh, this is in the late 80s. Just the roar, the, viv the, the brightness of the light from the flames of the engines, way brighter than on TV, and the sound, and again, that same feeling in your chest. Um, just a lifetime memory. And then... Um, kneeling to take some pictures, didn't know about fire ants. That's the other part of the story. I learned that one the hard way. But uh, it was really fun to share that kind of magic of a liftoff with my older son of the Falcon Heavy and the uh, Starman and the Tesla they shot into space, right? So many years later, decades later, got to have him witness with his own eyeballs something very special in Cape Canaveral. I want to ask you one more thing, because I did mention that we're sitting inside your beautiful Tesla. And I'm guessing that it must come a little bit from the guilt of flying on those heavily polluting 707s. So just tell us and tell the APG listeners a little bit, for those who may not know, and I can't imagine there's anyone that doesn't know, about your experience and what you made you decide to get this gorgeous car. Yeah, no, I'm a very frugal person, 30 years of Honda Civic, so thinking about the Tesla Model 3, the mass-produced car, waiting for 100,000 to be made before me, so I wasn't really an early adopter, I just kind of watched that industry grow up and um, thought about it for years and finally got a Model 3, and they're pretty common here, even here in uh, Maine. There's superchargers every 20, 30 miles, even here in Maine. There's no issue with taking this on long road trips, and I've driven 1,600 miles in the last 12 days, another 200 miles to get home tonight. And it's been a breeze. And it's just changed my life and um, made it a lot easier to get around uh, for my job and for my wife and I to have some fun on weekends, too, now that our kids uh, live pretty far away. Well, I can't believe how beautiful and roomy it is. And, uh, Paul, thank you so much for coming up to visit me, driving from 
from Freeport to Portsmouth to Algonquin and then up here to Scarborough, Maine, to Fohang and, and getting together with me. And thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And for all those hours, many hours of entertainment from hearing your distinctive voice on the air and the team of inspiring people you are on the air with. Thank you. For the airline pilot guy here in Scarborough, Maine this time, this is your main man, Micah, signing out. Thanks, Micah. Great interview. Um, thank you, Paul, for uh, being interviewed by Micah. That was uh, very informative. Yeah, lovely, quiet car, that. You can't even hear it purr along, can you? No. Mm-mm. Was it actually moving? <laughs> don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they Let's were pretend it was. Enjoying the interior. Very quiet. There you go. Sitting in it. All right. Um, let's move on uh, with this from... We talked about him earlier. You know, he sent that nice uh, private note and uh, book, and his name is Crack Crapton, Captain Craig. <laughs> you got it Sorry. right the first time. You're all Craptons. <laughs> no, we should call him Craptons. It's your new name now, Craig Crapton. <laughs> Wow. After he's done so much nice, I know. after he did so much nice stuff for us, last time we're gonna hear from him. Craig. Yeah. We're sorry uh, to have you. Leaving our community now, Craig, nice and I apologize you, Craig. for <laughs> for me. The way Jeff has treated you. Yeah. Thank you. All right, let's listen to what Captain Craig has to say to us. Hey, Peachy Crew, it's uh, Craig here. Uh, I know it's been a while. Well, with that being said, um, I'm no longer FO Craig, but now Captain Craig. It's got a good ring to it, doesn't it? Yeah. So uh, about uh, around February, I. Uh, got the call, not really a call, but an email saying that I would be eligible for the captain class starting in May of this year, 2019. So that's kind of where the whole process started. I had the hours and finally my seniority was good enough to hold a captain position. I could have held LaGuardia Newark as a captain about a month earlier than what I did, but I waited one extra month just so I could make sure I could hold DCA, which is where I was based as FO since I live in Baltimore, like driving to work. Got the call around February, and class was until May, so that gave me plenty of uh, prep time to make sure I was uh, keeping my head in the books and reviewing SOPs, the flight operations manual. So for a good three months there, it was just reading manual after manual, just making sure I was on top of my game as far as the books went and uh, just picking uh, brains of some captains and getting some tips and tricks from them and just making sure I understood their process and what they had to do over in the left seat, just keeping a closer eye on them, seeing how their flows went during checklists and different things like that. Went to class uh, May 13th of this year, 2019. Mm-hmm. I uh, had ground school for about seven or eight days where we, uh, it was basically just kind of a, I guess, more in-depth review of the FOM, SOPs, and company policies and procedures. But one of the big takeaways from ground school was uh, we had an all-day class of Captain Command Leadership Training. I believe that's what they called it, where we kind of went through a, a hotel-to-hotel scenario um, as a mock crew. So we had uh, different uh, class members sit up in pairs and run through different scenarios. So like it started off with um, crews at the hotel, wait for the van, one of the flight attendants come, doesn't come down, doesn't meet the show time, what do you do? 
um, that sort of thing. Then get to the plane, you got a maintenance write-off. How do you go through the maintenance write-off and getting uh, maintenance out to aircraft to get it taken care of? And then there was another scenario of something happening in flight and uh, so on and so forth. And it was really cool just to see. We had a class about 27, I believe, and just to sit here and see all the different ways that uh, different people uh, came up with ideas on how they would solve the issue at hand was see different experiences and get maybe new trains of thought from where I was thinking of. And, uh, nonetheless, um, after ground school, uh, had about a week, week and a half off, and then they sent us to uh, sim sessions. Uh, there's, there was five practice sims. Uh, the fifth being a mock check ride of sorts, and then the sixth sim was our um, company check ride. All the standard things, uh, single engine ILSs. And sorry if you can hear all that. I'm sitting in a medium sized Midwest airport where a friend, uh, Jen, works, but unfortunately it's 6 30 in the morning on a Saturday, so I don't think she's here. Yeah, so the standard stuff in the sim, similar denial S's, a bunch of emergencies and different things failing and not working. One of the worst things about the sim coming through as a captain, though, was uh, trying to taxi with the tiller in the sim. Because the graphics are pretty good, but for some reason, just the way the sim moves and the visuals lining up with it and you uh, maneuvering the plane using the tiller in the sim just... It didn't treat me very well, at least uh, with the whole motion sickness. So try to do my best to make sure I didn't get sick. And I didn't throw up or anything, but uh, kind of got a little uh, blue in the gills, I guess you could say. <laughs> then after uh, past the check ride, we had to do a um, loft scenario. So that's line-oriented flight training. So that's a gate-to-gate scenario with maybe one or two uh, little issues popping up during the flight. And you... Uh, basically play through the scenario as you would on the line and uh, continue to fight or do whatever you have to do and so that's pretty straightforward then after that the last sim was called uh, EET which was extended envelope training in the sim you take the plane up to a altitude uh, you do high altitude stalls low altitude stalls um, the one that really kind of caught my attention was uh, wake turbulence encounter I think they I don't know, maybe 3,000 feet on like a base leg or something. Same we were falling, like an A380 or something, and put us in a weight turbine scenario. And that plane put right on over, and uh, next thing you know, I was looking at ground, and we were upside down, and you had to get the plane right side up and uh, make sure you didn't exceed any limitations as far as pulling Gs or overspeeding aircraft or anything like that. So. That's the one that kind of got my attention. It was a great experience to get to see what that's like and see how a plane still flies and that you can uh, recover from a situation like that. And uh, You might need to change your pants, but I, once you get uh, change of pants, you should be all right. And then uh, after that, the um, company's been pretty backed up with getting uh, operational experience or OE completed just because of the number of Czech airmen, the number of pilots they're sending through on the captain and the FO side. So it took me, uh, I was about, you know, I was off for about four and a half weeks after sim training before I had my first OE trip. It was a good experience. I flew with two different captains during my two OE trips. 
Uh, we had to complete 25 hours worth of OE and just flew standard company routes with passengers in the back and got experience in the plane, which I hadn't touched for probably two plus months at that point. Taxiing the plane was a lot easier than I thought it would be. The tiller's very responsive. You can turn on a dime. I'm, I'm surprised how tightly of a turn you can uh, get with the 175. It's uh, pretty impressive. I do have to admit that my first couple landings from the left seat weren't the most beautiful, uh, smooth landings that one would expect from the airline captain. But towards the end of my OE, I was starting to dial it in, and I got my sight picture down, and uh, I started getting those smooth landings in. So um, the whole captain upgrade process, it was, it was a lot of information, a lot of preparation on my part. There was kind of a rumor going around that there's a lot of captains failing the upgrade, and that was due to a little bit of entitlement um, from what I was hearing. But the biggest thing was people not being able to be a captain, make decisions. And uh, so that was a big thing that they were harping on during the upgrade was making sure that you're the captain, you're in command, you make the decisions and to incorporate other crew members in your decision. And, follow through with that and uh so i'm pleased to announce that i am now captain craig and it was a wonderful experience and i'm looking forward to this next chapter uh going forward yesterday uh was a long day uh flew one trip with uh fo and uh we had a ferry plane from dca to columbus ohio you could tell the uh, fo was a little timid because there was some line of thunderstorms uh, between D.C. and Columbus, and looking at the radar, it looked decent enough to get through. There was a few holes, but I'm guessing the FO didn't have much experience with thunderstorms, and it was uh, a teachable moment for him. I kind of coached him through, told him to, you know, use the Mark One eyeball, which is pretty good at deciphering stuff, looking out the window, and using the radar on board to uh, see what the radar is showing as far as... Uh, significant weather and uh, putting the two and two together and maybe incorporating dispatch and ATC and seeing uh, where the best hole might be or if it didn't work out we could just turn around and go back to DC but we were able to find a uh, sizable hole that uh, was decent enough for us to pass through and it was enjoyable for me to coach him through that and kind of give him that experience since he hasn't had uh, that much experience flying in uh, the summer thunderstorm weather so Got about uh, 20 hours past my OE. I'm uh, really looking forward to this next chapter. And if uh, anybody's got more in-depth questions on the whole captain uh, upgrade program at a regional airline, feel free to uh, send it to uh, Jeff and the crew, and uh, they can get to me, or you can find me on Twitter at Captain underscore Craig. But anyway, Captain Craig, you should find me on Twitter, and uh, I'd be happy to answer any questions you have. Thanks for your time, and I uh, hope everyone's doing well, and keep up the great work, guys. This is Captain Craig signing off. Well, thanks, Captain Craig, for the audio feedback, and we're glad to hear that your your journey is uh, taking you amazing places, and we look forward to hearing more about your journey in the future. Absolutely. It sounds like um, you adopted exactly the right attitude to your command course. You did the work. 
And as a result, uh, things progress well for you. Uh, I know some people uh, don't find it nearly as easy, but congratulations for buckling down and getting uh, all that homework done. And as a result, uh, you know, you are richly rewarded. Well done. And thanks for uh, spending the time to send in some feedback, because I know there's a lot of folks out there who are curious about the process of how those transitions occur. Yes. All righty. Let's continue then with uh, item two. And this is from Chris Miller. He is a producer, uh, part of our Coffee Fund cadre. Uh, there does not seem to be a universal name for the fog on a jet fighter's wings in a hard pull-up. I want to call it expansion fog. What do you think? See the photo below. Airliners and supersonic brakes uh, to it as well. This photo from an F-35 at a recent air show in Fairbanks, Alaska. Let me see if I can share a screen with that photo in it so that uh, the people in that are watching the video can see... What we're talking about? Oh, never mind. I can't. Uh, I didn't open it up. Well, I think there is a universal name, is there not? It's condensation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's That's anything more of... special than that, right? No, it's it's not a very exciting name. So uh, <laughs> when we used to pull it in, and you know, in the F eighteen, uh, we used to say, "Oh, look, there's a three hundred knot cloud um, going around the sky." And uh, can you explain to... why it happens, though? Uh, yeah. Uh, I could, but, uh, but I don't know if I get paid <laughs> enough on this show. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, it, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's just the loss of pressure, which uh, causes an adiabatic uh, drop in temperature. Uh, and of course, uh, the air can't hold uh, a lot of moisture when its temperature reduces. And uh, if that temperature reduces below the dew point, then uh, the water vapor will come out in the form of con- visible condensation which forms a cloud, so it's purely caused by the uh, low pressure points on uh, the aircraft. So you can get it on airliners, uh, usually on the approach, uh, usually in moist conditions because then it's most dramatic. And uh, on a fight like this, it's turning hard, got a lot of lift being produced, a lot of pressure drop up uh, at the top of the aircraft, you'll see it. Um, we used to call it uh, ecto or ectoplasm uh, as a nickname. Uh, when I was flying the F-18, because you used to get it all down the uh, the Lexus, the leading edge extensions that came up around the cockpit, and you could see it in your mirrors as you pulled it. It always looked very impressive. But uh, I mean, condensation uh, is shortened to contrails when we talk about it happening behind an aircraft that's uh, mm-hmm. cruising along Likely and getting. Story. Uh, Are you yeah, sure this you- is not chemtrails, and they just forgot to turn <laughs> off the switch? <laughs> Well, I'm not quite sure where it's being generated from, if it's a chemtrail. But it might be there to disguise the chemtrails. Ah, that might be it. Yeah. I see. I see. Yeah, yeah this, uh, uh, his question brought back um, some old physics um, equations, that whole ideal gas law, PV oh, yeah. equals NRT. RT, so yeah. pressure is inversely related to temperature. So there you go. Wow. Science. Is that one of Boyle's laws? Uh, yes, it is. It is, it is really. Boyle's. It is Boyle's law. Yeah. Natural okay. gas law or something like that. Ideal gas law. General Ideal. You want to get You want to get those law, uh, laws lanced. Those boils can be very nasty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I tell you what is not an ideal gas law: uh, farting in the RV. Not <laughs> less ideal. than ideal. Less than <laughs> yeah. ideal. Yeah, Captain Alia banned. <laughs> I'm not sure it was from him, actually. Anyway, uh, so hope that helped out, Chris. 
uh, probably learned more than you wanted to. But uh, thanks for the feedback. Uh, item number three. Uh, new listener here in the Chicago area. This is from Tower 737 Guy. Uh, started about episode 350 or so. I love the discussions. Congrats to Captain Nick on his distinguished aviation career. Brilliant. I'm sitting here at the Ajax Hub Control Center Tower at O'Hare doing apron control for Ajax Airlines. As an av geek, watching the aircraft out the window of any airline, not just Ajax, is simply is just simply what we like to do. I have a question regarding airliners climbing out with their landing gear extended for an unusually lengthy period of time, well above the normal positive rate gear up point. I've seen one of our 787s climbing out and turning onto its initial heading and, just moments ago, witnessed an Acme A319 climbing out, turning south and then passing through 3,200 feet. We have cool toys in our tower, so that's how I knew the altitude. I have the same cool toy on my phone, for heaven's sake. (laughs) (laughs) His is cooler than yours. Uh, Okay, fair enough. And then he said the A319 finally retracted the uh, landing gear. Is there a possibility uh, this is, is this, is there a possibility this is for brake cooling? As when you're number 26 in line for takeoff, presumably you would be using the brakes incessantly as the line moved up, or perhaps another reason to comply with an MEL, perhaps low hydraulic pressure. Just curious if you all can shed some light on this. Thanks to you all for a wonderfully done podcast. Keep them coming. And again, this is Tower 737 Guy from Chicago O'Hare, O-R-D. And I think that Nick has the answer to this question. Yeah, it most commonly is a, uh, a brake uh, that has been deactivated uh, because of a fault. Uh, and usually um, you can have, an, on the aircraft I flew, you could have a number of brakes deactivated. I don't know how many brakes the 319's got, so it probably can only have one. But um, what's going to happen is because the uh, main landing gear retracts uh, inwards towards the uh, center of the fuselage, um, when you uh, retract the gear, the brakes normally come on. It's an automatic function. Stop the gear turning. So as the gear swings up, there's no gyroscopic forces being put on the undercarriage that otherwise would occur when you've got a large spinning wheel that acts as a huge gyroscope, um, bearing in mind that the, you know, the Torsional forces move through 90 degrees on a gyroscope, so it can twist the axle quite um, a lot. And, uh, you know, it, it wouldn't damage it too much, but it's there as it, the idea is there as a precaution. That's why the brakes come on. doesn't happen on the nose wheel because that retracts in line with the tyres, so there's no gyroscopic forces, but on the main wheel there is. So um, you, it's common for the MEL to say, wait two minutes uh, before you retract the gear to allow the wheel to wind, to run down. Um, so it's not a cooling function. Uh, and But it does also say, this is how I know that it doesn't create a, a dangerous force on the gear. It says, uh, if you have an engine problem that requires you to raise the gear immediately, do not delay. So in other words, uh, it's not a problem. If you want to raise the gear because you've got a performance issue, uh, then just do it. Uh, it's not going to cause any excessive damage, but uh, we, you know, they obviously uh, they would rather keep those twisting forces down to a minimum. Uh, so if you've got no good reason why not, 
uh, then delay. And uh, I regularly, uh, when we had these problems, used to mention it to the passengers and, of course, the cabin crew because the, the cabin crew in particular are very acutely aware of the sequence of which they hear the noises down the back. And if they don't hear the big clunking, grinding noise of the gear coming up, they'll wonder what the hell's going on and you'll often get a telephone call going, yes, I gave something up and the gear hasn't come up. And you go, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry, I forgot to mention we're leaving it down for two minutes. But uh, yeah, that that's all there was uh, is to that really. For me, it's usually just we forget. <laughs> yeah. Then it gets really Positive loud. Positive rate. Uh, what do you say? What? Yeah, it's a lo- <laughs> lovely day, yes. Yeah, lovely day. Lovely yeah. day. Yeah, why, why, is, uh, why is our climb so so shallow? And why are we burning so much fuel? <laughs> <laughs> Just oh, kidding. the other one, the guy barreling down the runway turns and looks at his uh, first officer and he says, cheer up. And the guy reaches <laughs> over and lifts the undercarriage. Yeah. Oops. Yeah, I I, I was uh, on, this, on the 727 as a first officer. It was a very noisy cockpit. And uh, I, I thought we were out on pretty long final and uh, I thought that the captain had asked me to lower the gear. <laughs> as soon as I did it, I looked over. I'm thinking, um, I'm getting the sense that he did not ask me to lower the gear. <laughs> that wasn't he was just what staring at me like, what the heck Why would you, you do that? <laughs> Oops. Mm. Did you want, you didn't want me to do that, did you? No. You want me to mm. raise the gear? No, just leave it down. <laughs> okay. I remember Sorry. my uh, my old man, and this would have been back in the 60s, I guess, came home from a trip, and he said, you'd never guess what my buddy first officer said to me this trip. And I went, no, Dad. And he said, uh, when it came time to put the gear to hit down, he said, hey, Daddy-O, time to dangle the Dunlops. <laughs> That's a good one. Is that a uh, episode title? <laughs> yes, Maybe. definitely. Oh, okay. Yeah, we can. Somebody we can, write I'll that make down. An, I'll make, <laughs> make a note of that. Yeah. Dangling well. the Dunlops. Hey, Daddy. Hey, Daddy. Hey, Daddy. Dangle the Dunlops. <laughs> I love it. Ah, okay. Well, excellent. So, I uh, hope that answers your question. There are sometimes also um, Tower 737 guy uh, that, uh, like in the wintertime, I, I can't recall if you just mentioned this or not, um, Nick, that. Uh, if we have like accumulated slush and stuff like that, uh, they say that you can leave the gear out a little bit longer than normal just to kind of let some of that uh, get off of the main landing gear or nose wheel before you retract them. And uh, that might you know, be helpful and to keep from getting all that stuff up into the uh, gear well and freezing in the really cold temperatures and then causing yeah, a problem that, you know, when you're when a good, time to land. That's a good thought. The other thing that I always used to bear in mind when I was in those kind of conditions was uh, reminding the tower as we landed after we'd uh, been de-iced that uh, we might get smoke from the tires because of uh, de-icing fluid that had leaked down onto the undercarriage because that that stuff smokes dreadfully when the brakes get hot Mm -hmm. and it looks like you've really caught fire. Um, Frequently, we used to see people taxiing off... uh, Straining smoke being chased by fire engines <laughs> great confusion from the flight deck going what my brake temperatures are perfectly normal what are we're you talking about <laughs> we're not on fire go away go away leave us alone call up the fire brigade now that's thank <laughs> exactly you. and that was a common cause huh okay uh moving on item four danny uh, Captain Jeff, Dr. Steph, Captain Nick, Captain Dana. I'm a captain for a regional carrier based out of Atlanta. The other day, I was completing a stand-up to nearby Albany, Georgia, 
when we had a mechanical malfunction that grounded us in the early morning hours in Albany. While What's pace, a stand-up? Uh, it's like a um, uh, like an overnight. I think that's a, a term that's used by some airlines that you leave late at night and then you get maybe three or four hours uh, nap or whatever uh, before you fly the first flight in the morning, usually before the sun comes up. And so it's not a, a formal... Um, it's not a break in duty. You're on duty the entire time. Um, but, and you're getting paid as if you're working the entire time, but you usually have a, I don't know, three to five hour or more break. And uh, sometimes they'll even, you know, give you a hotel to, uh, go and take a, a long nap before coming back. So you, what you sleep standing up? Is that the, uh, yeah, basically, idea? yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I don't know why they call it a stand. Maybe that is the reason why they call it a stand up. Yeah, no, I don't know. <laughs> but someone who does it will let us yeah, know. Maybe they'll know the source or the etymology of that. Anyway, uh, he said that they had a mechanical function malfunction. He was pacing the halls of the terminal, and he noticed noticed several glass display cases filled with RAF memorabilia, including pictures of crews, uniforms, and unfortunately memorials for those who had passed. Without getting into a whole lot of details. The U.S. and British governments conducted joint flight training back in the mid-1900s. Please see attached a few photos, including one that gives a short description of the events that took place in southern Georgia. Fly safe. And he says, only 11,867 days until retirement. <laughs> Counting down. Just, just yeah. Nice countdown. Short countdown It's a little there. bit too early to count. <laughs> yeah. It's a premature countdown. <laughs> so, so. Kind of embarrassing. <laughs> like I'm surprised that app goes up that far. <laughs> I know. Well, it does. It just makes fun of you. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why, why bother? Yes, it's really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wah, wah. yeah. Well, I'll put uh, great photos uh, that uh, Danny took. I'll put them in the show notes so you can take a look at the uh, displays that he was looking at. Very cool. Yeah, I, I love this. Uh, the fact uh, the two uniforms here, one has got a pair of. Uh, United States, are they army uh, wings? Um, uh, no, those army are Air, Air Force wings. Or I guess it would be are Army they? Air Corps. But what did he say yeah, it was in the um, 50s? Yes, uh, he, he said. So it would have been Air Force, I guess. Um, those look like the uh, Air Force silver wings. Well, I'm looking at the plaque, which says uh, British Commonwealth pilots, USA, by the U.S. Army Air Corps. So that's what that's why I was kind of kind of wondering because oh, they do the like Army Air Corps then. Okay, it's just that I I I know of the USAF pilots that flew with the RAF during the Battle of Britain uh, before you guys uh, joined in, and they had uh, when they moved across to the Army Air Corps, they had a small pair of RAF wings on the right hand side, and there. Army Air Corps wings replace them on the left-hand side. I know this is the other way around. Hmm. So I'm, I'm just wondering what that's about. But uh, I the, guess Maybe it was just the way the display was set up. Yeah, yeah maybe could, somebody I, didn't know exactly how to do it. Could have been. Could have um, been. The, yeah. the one on the left, the uniform on the left um, with the silver wings, that is very similar to my Air Force wings. Um, but the one on the right looks like um, a different style. Maybe that was the uh, Army Air Corps wings. I don't know. Interesting. Interesting. I'd I, I love to be able to read all that's written there to find out exactly what's going on. But it looks, looks fascinating. Thanks for that. Yeah. Uh, item number five. Steph, you want to do that? Sure. Uh, let's see. This is from 
where is this from? ZDNet.com. It says, uh, on Delta, facial recognition boarding doesn't sound optional. Hmm. Uh, the author here says, as I listened, or I listened as the gate agent tried to excite passengers about facial recognition boarding, he didn't mention they could opt out. This is how technology forges itself upon you. But when you got a late flight, you're tired, and there's a long line at Wendy's, there really aren't that many options for edification. So I sat at the gate, staring toward TV screens in a diner, waiting for my Delta flight back to San Francisco. Suddenly, I heard an announcement from the next gate. It was a Delta flight to Amsterdam, and the gate agent wanted passengers to be excited. You see, Minneapolis is... Be excited! Go team flying to (laughs) Amsterdam! You see, Minneapolis is one of the airports where the airline is testing facial recognition boarding, and this Delta gate agent was describing it in gushing terms. He said it would make boarding quicker. He said it was brand new and fancy and so very simple. The one part he seemed to admit was that it was optional. You can, of course, still show the gate agent your passport and your boarding pass. But who wants to perform such an onerous task when you can stand on a circle, be careful your position correctly, wait for both a green light and an OK from the gate agent, then take a receipt and board? This is supposed to save time? Delta says it does, and I'm sure Customs and Border Protection would agree. After all, it's their photo database that's giving you the approval to board the plane. Yet, though there are some signs around gates explaining that the process is, at the moment, optional, the fact that the gate agent didn't mention it was slightly disturbing. This is the way technology is foisted upon humanity. Uh, Someone somewhere has decided it's a good idea. So to make everyone use it, the sponsors create the conditions for you to instantly believe it's the norm. I asked Delta whether the fact that the technology is optional should should have been a part of the gate agent's announcement. An airline spokeswoman told me, The script serves as a redundancy to signage in place at the gate. When boarding the aircraft, there are signs both from Customs and Border Patrol and Delta that explain the optional facial recognition technology process and to see see an agent if customers want to use an alternative or an alternate procedure. The current standard announcement script highlights that the process is optional and explains how to opt out. When this was initially rolled out, we focused on explaining the new optional process, but have further clarified how to opt out as a redundancy to the signage. Well, all I can tell you is that I heard no announcement that it was optional. Actually, I can also tell you I'm not alone. Uh, let's see. So more folks have shared their uh, displeasure that there was not a announcement about how to opt out of it. Um, any questions that whether at least some of the gate agents are ignoring the standard script announcement? Da, 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 da. I'm going to see if there's anything more besides him just concerning. Huh. The last couple yeah, of the, paragraphs. It, let me uh, skip down just a little bit. So yeah. it says some gate agents might suspect that if they keep telling passengers facial recognition is optional, there will be more who take the option. It's only human after all. Not everyone is delighted by the prospect of what looks like a surveillance state, even if airports in Europe regularly use facial recognition at one stage or another. Uh, in the, this particular case, uh, opting out wasn't easy. I had to leave the boarding line, speak with a Delta representative at their information desk, get back in line, then request a passport scan when it was my turn to board. This is, however, supposed to be an opt-in service. Why can't you walk up to the scanner, tell the gate agent thanks but no thanks, hand them your passport and boarding pass and board? Oddly, that night in Minneapolis, many people ended up doing just that. Because after boarding had started, another announcement came from the gate agent. Well, it looks like one of our scanners isn't working, so we'll have to board you the old-fashioned way. So much for the excitement. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah. What's I don't the, know. Uh, I've got... What's the worry about... Yeah, I've got mixed feelings about the worry. There's a lot of people, um, and I know quite a few folks personally, who are very concerned about maintaining their privacy. However, uh, gosh, so much of your information is already out there. Um, 
in one way or another. And isn't it on your uh, biometric I, I'm worried, passport I, I, anyway? Or, exactly. Or don't you and guys, don't, do you guys use those? No, we do. Yeah, I thought you yeah. did. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, it's really it, the data's no there. there. The data's collected. It's all there. It, everyone has it, and the government has it. They you you need it to get into the in and out of the country. Uh, certainly exactly. in the UK. Yeah. So uh, using it, an additional layer to board the aircraft, uh, and apart from that, it's an, an increasingly good layer of security. So mm-hmm. as an ex airline pilot, I would think that is good to have an additional My- layer of security to make sure you, one you're getting on the right flight because it does happen people get on the wrong mm-hmm. flight and two to make sure you're the person who holds the passport who has the ticket who gets on the flight. My take on this is if you have nothing to be concerned about or hiding about and you know this information is all out there in the public anyway or in the government databases for the airlines for your passports what I don't understand why you would be concerned. And this is just the or, stuff that they're telling us uh, about. I'm sure that there are already many places when you're out in public that I'm pretty well convinced that is being used. <laughs> so I'm pretty well convinced that our government knows quite a bit about yeah. me. Well, there I'm, are pubs in the UK that use it. Uh, yeah. One to check that you are of age, uh, and two to make sure you haven't been banned from their pub. <laughs> Yeah. I suppose in this country, it just still feels very much like an invasion of yeah. some sort of perceived privacy that some folks think that they still maintain. Okay, I'm just going to equate it to someone holding up a photograph of you and looking at your face, going, "Yeah, you're the same person." It's just there's a oh, computer I'm, I'm, doing it instead. I'm <laughs> completely with you, Nick. <laughs> but yeah. It's funny how I, I just think it's funny how often you encounter this kind of level of almost paranoia about. Um, someone out there, whether it's a company or a government agency or some database collecting information about you, whether it's your photo, whether it's your fingerprints, whether it's uh, identifying information like social security numbers or passport information. It's, it's just kind of funny how it, people are really concerned about that still. Fair enough. Oh, we should mention that uh, Michelle or Michael, I'm, I'm not sure how he pronounces it, is one of our producers. Oh, well, thank you. nice article. Thank you. Yes. All right. Uh, item six, uh, since you're on a roll, Steph, do you want to? Uh, yeah, I'll do keep this? going here. That's okay. Good. okay. Need so to take a from... swig of water or anything? Oh, um, yeah. I've got my Coke. Oh, there you go. Chick fil A. I need more caffeine. I'm, you guys can probably tell. I feel like I'm dragging today. It's my own fault. I was out late last night with a group of runners. Um, and I'm feeling the effects of that now. <laughs> Yeah, these early mornings are starting to get to me as well. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll figure out how to speak. Uh, try retiring. Well. <laughs> yeah, I'm working towards that, but my countdown <laughs> is just as uh, more than eleven thousand. Yeah, days. it's 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 not oh. even worth the countdown at this point. Oh, that's so sad. Oh, I know. That's okay. I'll make it. I can read this if you'd like. I, I get it. I get it. We're good. So, okay. This is from Isabel. She says APG has helped her fear of flying. Excellent. Hi, APG crew. I am not a pilot, nor have any connection to the airline industry, except as a passenger. After moving to Portland, Oregon from my hometown in South Dakota, I found myself having to take more uh, flights that, more flights more often. I developed an intense fear of flying and would have to medicate and get a little liquid courage in the air to make it through the flight. At that point, I was so chilled out, I didn't really ca- even care if something happened. I was just having a jolly good time. Every single flight, I would listen to the Fear of Flying School podcast episode, How a 
How a Plane Gets Lift, as explained by an airline captain, starring none other than Captain Jeff. Last year, love was in the air at my hometown, and four friends got engaged, all with weddings this summer. Along with my brother's graduation and visiting my husband's family in California, I was going to have to take around 12 flights. I decided I wasn't going to medicate. I would try to just conquer my fear with a little self-prescribed exposure therapy. I'm at the point where I can, where I only cry when I first get on the flight, and then I turn on the same podcast and relax. After my last flight, I decided to check out the APG podcast Captain Jeff promoted on that episode. I'm so glad I did. I've been a listener for about two weeks now, and it's really helped with my anticipatory anxiety I have, and I'm not even nervous for my flight in two weeks. Funny comment about that, when I first turned it on and heard Captain Jeff talked, Captain Jeff talk and immediately felt relaxed. I think I accidentally Pavloved myself by using that podcast to calm down each flight. Pavloved. I like that as a verb. It's very nice. Nice. Uh, Doesn't it mean you start dribbling if you Pavlov? Yeah, salivating a little (laughs) bit. (laughs) Anyway, by listening to your podcast, it's helped me normalize the experience of flying, so keep up the good work. Lastly, out of curiosity, could you guys share some of the more scary situations you've been in? Oh, Isabel, Isabel. <laughs> Wait a minute. Come on, now. you've just conquered your your fear of flying here. You're in this nice Pavlovian uh, meditation state when you listen to Captain Jeff's voice, and now you want us to tell you our scary situations. Um, she says, "If you don't want to, that's all right." We haven't. Had Side any. note: Yeah, there's there's no scary situations in flying. Side note: I am not very far into the show. I listen to about one a day, so I I. Don't know if you've covered it, but the United Airlines Flight 232 crash in 1989 would make an amazing plane tale. Tomorrow, July 19th, is the 30-year anniversary, and the story is both miraculous and tragic. Uh, The courage and bravery of the pilots displayed is miraculous. I'm pretty sure a fourth was was found on the cockpit floor and survived. This has gotten very long-winded, so I'll sign off now. Clear skies and tailwinds. Still not quite sure what that means, Isabel. We aren't either. Yes. So we can direct you back to, oh, I've forgotten which episode number it was that we just, that Nick just did. Um, or, or no, I'm sorry. What, what episode did you do flight 232? Nick? No, no, I, no, I, no, I, no yeah. I okay. Oh, for some reason there, I was thinking. There yeah, is a reason I why I haven't. Yeah. Uh, it's the Sioux city, uh, DC yes, 10 yes. crash. And it is an extremely well-known uh, incident. And I try to avoid the ones that are really well-known because I'm not going to, bring anything new really usually to the story they've been told many times by many people so um for that very reason i have avoided that one and probably will continue to do so if you know something that's slightly um less well known equally uh, interesting then i would love to hear it because what i want to do is surprise people with the uh my plain tales and they go oh i hadn't heard that that's brilliant and that's kind of what i aim at well, you know what? I think that um, because we've helped you so much, Isabel, uh, with conquering your fear, that we're not going to add to it by telling you scary things. <laughs> so, no, no. I- I'm not going to tell you about landing in a typhoon in Shanghai. No. No. Probably not. Or, you know, snowstorms in Chicago. No, or-, or lightning strikes. Or hitting uh, severe wind shears on yeah. short final Go around or my, my wife, yeah, or my wife causing an engine failure. <laughs> <laughs> now, that might be a plain tale, I think, Nick. <laughs> no, it's not a plain tale. It was a very quick story. I was bringing her back from where we'd been, I don't know, somewhere, uh, and uh, I think LA. 
uh, and we'd been on a trip together. And uh, she had been sleeping all night. I'd been slaving through the long transit across the Atlantic. And it was breakfast time. We were just coming up uh, to the end of the Atlantic crossing. And these were the days when the flight deck door was generally open all the time. And um, she had uh, woken herself up and uh, just walked into the flight deck to say good morning to us uh, from her beautiful uh, upper-class seat. And as she walked on the flight deck, uh, one of the engines failed. And I thought it was just a remarkable coincidence. <laughs> she walked in. I turned around and said, hello, darling. Glanced back at the instrument panel and, and was pointed at it and said to my, my AFO, the, the number two's winding down. <laughs> she is banned from the cockpit yeah. for life. Followed by lots of bells yes, and dings yes. and whoop, whoops <laughs> and all sorts of interesting noises. And uh, I said, I'll be with you in a moment, darling. <laughs> when yeah, she so. walks into the room. Yeah, the engines all fail. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Um, I think since we're talking about plain tales, that this might be a good time for us to hear this week's installment. What do you think? Oh, good your lines. Yes. Here we go. Oh boy. The old pilot's plain tales. I'm a dead man. Captain Lua Labate was no stranger to hijackings. This was his third. The first had been four years earlier, in 1992, when he was flying a Boeing 727 for Ethiopian Airlines. He had taken off on an internal flight across Ethiopia from Addis Ababa to Bahadar, a short flight of around 200 nautical miles. But not long after takeoff, two men, armed with hand grenades, took control of his aircraft and made their demands. Apparently the men had been security guards for the former president of Ethiopia, Mengistu Hale Mariam, who overthrew the Emperor Hali Selassie and who was responsible for the appalling famine of the 80s and also responsible for the deaths of millions of Ethiopians. These guards had escaped from prison, and they wanted to be taken to Nairobi's main airport, Yomo Kenyatta International, given $5 million and fuel to fly to Toronto in Canada. Captain Abate safely navigated his aircraft to its new destination, and after a four-hour negotiation, the hijacking was resolved. Three years later, and by then flying the Boeing 737, hijackers again demanded he divert his aircraft, this time to Sweden, but he managed to talk the men round, and as before, they allowed him to land safely. Of his third hijacking experience, he said, this one was different. The way they were talking, they didn't want to live. It was the 23rd of November 1996, an Ethiopian Airlines flight ET961 had taken off from Addis Ababa for a scheduled flight to Abidjan on the Ivory Coast via Nairobi in Kenya, Brazzaville in the Congo and Lagos, Nigeria. It was a Boeing 767, with 163 passengers on board and a crew of 12. 
It only been airborne for 20 minutes when a passenger stood up and ran up the aisle to the cockpit, followed by two others. Everybody should be seated, one said. I have a bomb. Opening the cockpit door, they attacked the first officer, Jonas Mercuria, and dragged him out of his seat before confronting the captain. The men were described as young, in their mid-twenties, inexperienced, psychologically fragile and intoxicated. Two were apparently unemployed high school graduates, and the third was a nurse. They immediately claimed that they were three of eleven hijackers on board, and grabbing the PA microphone, they announced to the passengers in Amharic, French and English that if anyone tried to interfere, they had a bomb and they would use it to blow up the plane. By now they had armed themselves with the aircraft crash axe and a fire extinguisher which they were using as a weapon. Our attitudes towards hijacking is very different now, particularly after the experience of 9-11. An intervention to neutralise a hijacker is much more likely in present day, but then the agreed response was to negotiate towards a peaceful solution. If anyone could do this, it would be Captain Abate, but he was immediately met with a problem. The hijackers demanded to be taken to Australia. Abate tried to explain that he only had fuel for a further two hours of flight, enough to complete the first leg of his journey, but he would need more than six hours of fuel to reach Australia. It just couldn't be done. In answer, he was shown the airline in-flight magazine, where it clearly stated that the Boeing 767 could fly for 11 hours without refueling. Despite his best efforts, Captain Abate just couldn't convince the hijackers that they wouldn't be able to reach Australia. He even brought the Nairobi Control Centre controller into the conversation. Nairobi asked, ETH-961 Nairobi sender, confirm you're going to land in Australia? Gentlemen, the captain replied, we can't make Australia. We have only two hours of fuel. We can't make it to Australia. We will make a water landing. ETH-961, confirm you can't divert to Mombasa. Confirm you can't divert to Mombasa, came the reply. They refused to land anywhere other than Australia, so we have no choice, except when we finished our fuel we will land on water. The conversation continued as both Abati and his controller tried to explain to the unbelieving hijackers the situation they were in. OK, I just wanted our hijackers to hear what you are communicating, and if you have anything to say, go ahead and tell them. His controller tried again. OK, I am advising you that with two hours fuel, you will be unable to reach your destination and probably you will have to land on the water. The best solution is for you to land in Mombasa. Go ahead. OK, Abate replied. They say they don't want to talk and they're not willing to negotiate on any terms. Again and again they tried to convince the men that their attempt to reach Australia would fail. Nairobi asked, 
Confirm that they're ready to land in the ocean and drown? Ethiopian 961, do you have any alternative aerodrome where you can proceed other than Australia? Any other alternative aerodrome? Please advise. Captain Abate replied, I have no alternative aerodrome, sir. I'm in a very tight corner. The fuel ran down lower and lower, but Lulabate had been trying to follow the east coast of Africa towards the south. Eventually the men realised that they could still see land and they forced him to head out over the ocean. They passed over Zanzibar and out into the Mozambique Channel, heading southeast. The captain had been warned not to descend below his cruising level of 39,000 feet, but he could see that his fuel was almost exhausted. He pleaded with the hijackers to allow him to broadcast to the passengers over the aircraft PA system. No, came the reply. He continued, What I would tell them is that at this very moment, since it's been beyond my responsibility, the aircraft is bound to crash. Do you want to die? he asked one of the men. We are going to die anyway, he replies. So let me go to the passengers and face death along with them, the captain asked. The reply was chilling. From now on I say stop such talk. Finished. No talking even while you die. You die silently. One of the men is sitting in the first officer's seat. He's drinking from a bottle of whiskey. He has a device with him he claims is a bomb. He forces Captain Abate to drink. Come on, start. It will be an appetizer. Die drinking. What else can I do for you? Abate replies, We don't have time. Leave me alone, please. You will drink more, comes the stern reply. Ahead of him... Between his position and the island of Mozambique in the distance are the Comoro Islands, and Captain Abate has been quietly heading towards them. The drunk hijacker is fiddling with the controls, kicking the rudder, hitting the instruments, turning the ailerons and pulling the thrust reverse levers at random. Their conversation is interrupted by the warning system, as finally... One of the engines, starved of fuel, runs down. The hijacker complains that the aircraft is descending. It will descend by itself, the captain explained. As the engine stops, it descends, whether you like it or not, it's descending. As the man leaves the right seat to talk to the other hijackers in the cockpit doorway, Captain Abati takes the opportunity to use the PA system to talk to the passengers. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your pilot. We have run out of fuel and we are losing one engine this time. And we are expecting crash landing and that is all I have to say. We have already lost one engine. And I ask all passengers to react to the hijackers. What he hopes is that the passengers will realize the desperate situation that they are in and overwhelm the men, regaining control of the aircraft, but he doesn't make himself clear enough, so that even those who understand English 
are confused by his use of the word react. The leader of the hijackers returns and hits the microphone out of Lul's hand. The passengers do nothing, and the second engine fails. His aircraft is now a glider. The hijacker instructs the captain not to touch the controls and threatens to kill him. The captain says, I am already dead because I am flying an aeroplane without engine power. The first officer, who had earlier been forced out into the cabin, goes to the rear of the aircraft where he sees a lot of economy passengers have their life jackets on and that some have already inflated them. Along with the cabin crew members, he helps them to deflate their life jackets and shows them how the jackets should be reinflated and how to assume the brace position during impact, but many keep their jackets inflated. Now only on standby instruments, and with a small amount of power from the RAT, the Ram Air Turbine, Lulabate is fighting with the hijacker to keep control of his aircraft. I am a dead man, he says. I am a dead man handling an aircraft without fuel. They are only a few thousand feet when Jonas Mercuria, the first officer, fights his way back into the cockpit. He's been injured and is bleeding, but he takes his seat to help his captain. The hijackers fight them and struggle to take control of the aircraft and Captain Abate does his best to line his crippled machine up parallel to the waves. He can't lower his flaps, so he's coming in fast at around 175 knots. That's over 200 miles an hour. The aircraft hits the water with the left wing a little low and it trails the tip along the surface before the left engine pod settles into the sea, but unbeknown to the captain, just beneath the surface is a coral reef that smashes into the engine pod, twisting the aircraft around until under the enormous stress of the deceleration, it starts to cartwheel, breaking up into several sections. Quietly sitting by the sea-sipping cocktails, The residents of the beautiful Galawa Beach Hotel were shocked to see a huge airliner plough into the water only 500 yards away. Captain Abate's plan had almost succeeded. Instead of disappearing into the vast Mozambique Channel with little chance of immediate rescue, he had managed to ditch his aircraft near help. If it hadn't been for the hidden reef, his landing might have gone well. As it was, the residents of the hotel moved quickly to the crash site with anything that would float. A strange collection of rubber boats, little sailing yachts, surf and paddle boards turned towards the aircraft to help those that could be saved. Scuba divers who happened to be nearby helped drag some trapped from the upturned fuselage But for most, it was too late. Some hadn't heeded First Officer Mercurio's instructions not to inflate their life jackets until outside of the aircraft and became trapped in the sinking fuselage to drown. Many had died from the impact itself, including all three hijackers. One lady told her story. We started to swim towards a boat, 
but there were bodies floating in the sea and pieces of luggage, so the divers had to come and rescue us. We were dragged on shore with all the dead bodies which had blankets over them. Another recalled, Five or six times I went up and down into the water. I wanted very much to survive. I fought through all the bodies and everything and grabbed a broken part of the plane. Slowly, slowly I came out. Another survivor was the United States Consul General of Bombay who had been sitting beside his wife. He remembered the landing well. The first bump was really gentle, he said. Then the second one was really hard. The third one was even harder, like a 70-mile-an-hour auto accident. The last one was like an earthquake. When the fuselage broke up, he was thrown the length of a football field through the air, landing in the water, still attached to his seat and still alive. But when he looked for his wife, who had been sitting beside him, he realised she wasn't there, and he thought the worst. But unbelievably, she had been thrown even further, and also survived. The white sands of the beach were soon stained red as the dead and dying were dragged ashore. However, many owe their lives to the holidaymakers and hotel staff for the assistance they rendered, Amongst them were a group of French doctors who did sterling work. Although the crash site was only a mile from the Mitsamiuli hospital, it was soon overwhelmed, and the most badly injured had to be transferred to a larger facility on the island of Reunion, and even as far away as Kenya and South Africa. Many were not so lucky. 125 passengers died, but 50 had survived, although many were grievously injured. For the deceased, there was not even a morgue on the island, so a meat-packing plant was pressed into service. Of the crew, six were killed, but both Captain Abate and First Officer Mekuria were amongst the survivors. Captain Lul Abate had done a remarkable job in the most difficult of circumstances. He did his utmost to save his passengers and was lauded for his efforts, although, in his quiet way, he insisted on deflecting the praise to his first officer. He said that Jonas was the real hero. His colleague fought the hijackers while he was bruised and bleeding, giving time for Lul to land the airplane. He was the lifesaver, Lul said. When in his hospital bed, he was asked if he would continue flying. Only death or retirement will keep me and flying apart, he replied. I think many of us can identify with that. <laughs> yeah, and I'm very uh, happy that it's been retirement and not the other option. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but you know you're you're still going to be flying. I, I'm sure of it. Uh, I'm 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 sure I could jump out of the window occasionally just to <laughs> you know relive a few old memories. Yeah. Uh, well, what a great story. Um, true story. Obviously, you know they. I, I remember in my mind, although I haven't watched it in quite some time, the uh, the video from somebody on the uh, on the beach taking 
taken of the mm-hmm. uh, seven six coming in and kind of cartwheeling and breaking up. Yeah, very dramatic uh, piece of video, yeah. uh, but uh, damn good job by uh, the captain to uh, both get it down uh, reasonably safely. It was such a shame that he uh, hit that hidden reef mm-hmm. uh, during his ditching attempt. Um, and considering he had had to fight off these damn hijackers uh, while she's trying to glide his aircraft in, I thought he did a damn good job. Yeah, He seems yeah, like one of those very capable sort of guys that uh, took a lot of this in his stride. Uh, and uh, even this didn't seem to put him off uh, the rest of his uh, career. He's, uh, uh, you know, you, sometimes uh, we think that the only good pilots are pilots from our own uh, environment, our own country, or our own training system, or whatever, but it's not true. There are great pilots all over the world. Yeah, that is for sure. Okay, well, thank you again, Nick, for uh, for, for letting us hear that story again. And My uh, pleasure. That's That's been two which I've taken from uh, voice recorded transcripts, oh. really. Uh, uh, so <laughs> the last one and this one. And uh, uh, my next plain tale is all about the history of the voice recorder. Oh, It's an interesting story. Nice. I like it. Look forward to hearing that. Great. Hey, uh, let's talk about movies. Uh, A couple of the next um, pieces of feedback are regarding airplane movies. Uh, This is from Z. Uh, He says he's stationed at the SAC base in Blytheville Air Force Base in Arkansas. Or Arkansas, if you prefer. Arkansas, that's the proper name, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, B-52 crews loved Dr. Strangelove for the accuracy of the the portrayal of the B-52 in that movie. And Navy submarine people, maybe weird, but they say up periscope is a very accurate um, term regarding submarines. Or maybe that's a movie, up periscope. I believe it's a movie. Okay. I don't think I've seen that one. No, and that's one that has escaped me. Yeah, Periscope. Yeah, I've seen yeah, that strange uh, love. 1959. Oh, never. Uh, no wonder. I was a, a Periscope is from 1959. Okay. Well, we'll just Excellent. have to put that on the list of non-airplane movies. There you go. James Gardner. Das Boot. And, uh, oh, I like James Gardner. He's very good. Yeah. All right. And then Larry, uh, one of our executive producers, uh, sent us a link. Uh, it's a YouTube link, and apparently this is a side-by-side comparison between the movie Zero Hour uh, in 1957 versus Airplane! Exclamation point from 1980. An extended look at the similarities between the original 1957 film and the more well-known comedy remake from 1980. So we'll put that in the show and- notes. If I remember, you guys have not seen Zero Hour. I have not yet, yet. Is seen that correct? Zero Hour. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Now, where can it's you find that? Completely. Um, I think I so I purchased it on, uh, like iTunes maybe, or maybe I downloaded it from, or maybe I got it on Amazon Prime. I forget. Okay. It was well, on one of the. I don't think I was able to stream it. I think I had to purchase it, but it was not expensive as a movie to own. Okay. And it's I'll it's well worth the few dollars for it. Yeah. Um, but basically, I mean, so for anyone who doesn't know. Um, airplane the the writers and producers of it basically bought the rights to this other movie zero hour so that's why how they were able to lift basically direct dialogue from one movie into the the next yeah according to our main man micah it was a b film when it came out but it's even more camp 
now. Yes. Zero Hour is done in all seriousness, but it comes across as very humorous. <laughs> I love that. So which is the funnier, I want to know? Oh, I, you know, yeah, I think you. it's funnier to me if you watch Airplane first and you're familiar with Airplane and then you go back and see the movie that it originated out of um, or where large sections of it were, were taken from. Love it. Well, I'll have to have to do that. I'll certainly watch that. And they're that, both uh, very funny in their own right in yeah. that regard. Thanks, Larry. I'll certainly watch that uh, a comparison. That looks fun. Excellent. And by the way, Larry, I did um, give Captain Nick the original uh, Acme Airlines ball cap that you I had. Was, uh, I was wearing it and with yeah. great pride. Uh, and I can tell it apart from everyone else's because it uh, doesn't have a little bit extra of, um, embroidery on the back that uh, Jeff had put on the uh, the official ones, but it's a complete one-off, so I love it. I think it's great. Thanks. Yes. And I showed him the packaging and everything else, the uh, the NAT charts that uh, were crumpled oh, up. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> okay, continuing with um, Masha, uh, who is also a uh, producer of the show. Hi, Captain Jeff. Uh, here's a short audio feedback with a question regarding evacuations. So let's listen to Masha. Hello, APG crew and community. This is Marcia from the Netherlands. I have a question regarding evacuations. Now we've seen a number of videos of evacuations these past few weeks, months, and one thing struck me about these videos. And no, it's not about people taking their bags. Rather, it's about what happens once the passengers are outside. There seems to be very little coordination of any kind. Passengers are wandering all over the airfield. And in one instance, and I think this was the incident in Russia a few weeks ago, where you can clearly see passengers getting in the way of a responding fire and rescue truck. Now, of course, I understand that just getting everyone outside the aircraft is the first priority, especially if you're on fire. But we've also seen that just being outside doesn't mean they're out of danger. Like, I think we all remember the girl that was hit by the fire truck in the Asiana crash in San Francisco. Or they can become a danger to others by getting in the way. So my question is, is there any protocol or is anyone responsible for corralling or otherwise dealing with passengers during an evacuation? once they're already outside the aircraft. Thank you for all the great shows and bye for now. Well, Masha, thank you for the question. And you're right. It does seem that in many of these cases, the just looks like hysteria and panic and no organization whatsoever. I'm not sure exactly what these air crews or cabin crews and, and uh, flight deck crews are doing out there to help the situation because, you know, we don't always see the, the big picture when we're watching these things. But uh, at, at my airline, you know, the, the job is, yes, getting people off the airplane safely um, and quickly, but it's also corralling and, and gathering people and keeping them out of harm's way after they're away from the aircraft. Um, so uh, that's definitely something that we are taught. Um, Nick, same thing for your, uh, your company? Yeah, it was always part of my um, emergencies brief that I would say, uh, and if you evacuate, blah, 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 um, you get off first and make sure you uh, grab a, a bullhorn, a loud hailer, as we call them, and uh, uh, 
assemble the passengers upwind of the aircraft just in case uh, there was a fire. Uh, and the cabin crew are trained to uh, assist with that. Uh, and, of course, it's one of the reasons we have the Dayglow uh, crew tabards that we uh, always put on when we're in a, an emergency situation or an evacuation situation. So they're, they're ready for us to uh, to help us uh, start uh, getting people so that we look official. Uh, it does help. Um, and I say I, I will you know, go right down the length of the fuselage, make sure everyone's off and I'll come out and join you. But uh, having seen an evacuation at a couple of UK airfields, um, for example, they had one at Gatwick uh, that um, we were given access to a lot of the video. Um, it depends very much on how the airport is prepared to uh, deal with these situations. And Gatwick, as well as the fire tenders and the ambulances and uh, the um, airfield uh, vehicles that were out there. They had a huge uh, sign on a vehicle which had uh, a great big um, arrow uh, and there were guys there directing passengers to come in this direction. So it was very much dealt with by the uh, emergency services and they made it very plain using these big illuminated signs uh, in case people didn't speak uh, English, uh, and uh, using a, a loud audio system to direct passengers into a safe area. So uh, I think a lot of that responsibility is initially on the crew, but if you're in a well-organized and uh, well-equipped airfield, then a lot of that will then be taken over by the emergency services who are there on the spot, who are probably better are able to uh, pick the spot and deal with it because they know their airfield better than the cabin crew and the first officer uh, do as when they come stumbling out of the airplane probably a little bit confused as to what's going on but if nothing else happens it's really up to the crew to do that yeah do, yeah and my question was going to be about do you think there's just a lot of variables in how every evacuation unfolds in terms of what causes it in the first place where you are uh, you know who your passengers are. I mean, you think about a, a plane full of um, like a little league team or something going somewhere, you could have all different kinds of variables and, and fitness ability and ability to get off the aircraft or to move about. Um, I just think there's probably a lot of variables to ensure that it goes exactly according to training every single time it happens. And you have to have some ability to adapt to situations and be flexible and still do what you're Absolutely. Doing. And of course, it's uh, don't forget the crew are generally at the top of the slides, not at the mm -hmm. bottom. There's very few crew going to be at the bottom of the slides because the crew are going to be directing the evacuation. And of course, this the passengers spilling up from both sides of the aircraft. Uh, and so even if there is a few are a few crew members trying to direct people on one side, all the people on the other side of the aircraft are going to mill around because they can't necessarily hear or see uh, any directions from the crew. Uh, so the crew's responsibility is primarily to get them off. So long as they're a few hundred feet away, they're not really going to be in any, any more danger. Uh, yes, they can uh, inhibit and get in the way of emergency services, but the major danger to their lives has now been removed just by the fact that they're away from the aircraft. And as Steph mentions, uh, each situation is going to be different. Uh, the circumstances are going to be different. Uh, I talked with one of our flight attendants that uh, was involved in the uh, mad dog that um, left the runway at LaGuardia uh, during that uh, uh, runway excursion with the snow and mm -hmm. all that. And, you know, she was in the very, very back and 
was trying to evacuate through the aft tail cone, but things were jammed the way the airplane had had kind of situated itself. Um, when the when when the thing when the tail cone came off, there was like a huge uh, distance between you know where the passengers would get off the airplane and where the ground was, and so basically she you know had to quickly. Uh, analyze that situation and, re, and just basically say, we can't go this way. We're going to have to use the, the other exits. And, and it was interesting to hear uh, the whole story there, especially how the, uh, the accident itself basically took out all the electronics uh, involved with the, the PA system. So they didn't have a PA system to initiate the evacuation. So there was a lot of confusion, a lot of chaos on, on board the airplane. But anyway... Uh, great question, Masha. Uh, I always tell my first officer when I'm briefing that, that initial emergency or abnormal briefing that, you know, after we've accomplished our checklist items and safely secured the aircraft, uh, that I expect him to grab the ELT that's in the, uh, in the cockpit, the, uh, emergency locator transmitter and, uh, get out of the airplane and assist with the evacuation outside. And that I would remain on the airplane, uh, and make sure that everybody is off the airplane before I leave. Uh, leave it like the the captain is always the last one right or should be exactly right particularly Mm -hmm. if you're in water and then you're actually supposed to salute and sink with the airplane there we go which is something (laughs) sully didn't do i noticed yeah they they left that part out with his ship (laughs) (laughs) to be fair i don't think the ship actually ever (laughs) sank all the way so maybe we can excuse him on that one Uh, oh fair enough okay (laughs) we're kidding of course yes Um, highly really Maybe a little bit. Um, <laughs> so, uh, would you like to take uh, item number ten, Nick? Absolutely. Uh, and this is talking about the tracks uh, across the Pacific. Now, I'm very familiar with the tracks across the Atlantic because I've flown them many times. And uh, this is uh, uh, audio from Mike K and response. Uh, so I've sent this question to Mike Kay and asked him for his comments and to see his response after Michael's question. So the question was, hello, Captain Jeff and crew. In your last episode 383, you discussed the Air Canada engine failure over the Pacific, which led to Mike, uh, well, it was, I think it was over the Atlantic, uh, the Air Canada engine failure. Oh, actually, no, no I'm sorry. Was, I'm uh, thinking about tr- the, the diversion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which led to Mike's statement about you can use whichever track you want over the Pacific. And that got me thinking. There are quite a few planes that all tend to leave at the same time from the U.S. West Coast in the late evening, San Francisco, L.A., uh, IAA. Houston Intercontinental. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, Qantas, United, Delta, Virgin, American, etc. to Australia and land in Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne. Uh, if it's up to the dispatcher regarding tracks, can you ask Mike how they stop from bumping into each other out there? It's Is it basically up to the pilot uh, for both elevation and track? Do the airlines discuss with each other? Thanks in advance, producer Michael. So uh, Mike has produced some audio. Yes. Uh, let me play that right now. Hello, airline pilot guy, crew, and community. Dispatcher Mike here helping to answer Michelle's question about what happens when we put flights out over the Pacific and how do we keep them from bumping into each other. As I did say on 383, I 
personally love dispatching in the Pacific and the Pacific Theater because Oakland Oceanic and Fukuoka and all the furs out there, furs of flight information region, which is basically a large center, um, have a very open policy when it comes to flight planning. The FAA and especially Oakland Oceanic has on their website a, uh, a UPR flight planning guidance. So a UPR would be a user preferred route and the guidelines. And this is a it's a multi page document, basically saying what you can and can't do when planning your user preferred route across the Pacific. And thankfully, all of that is baked in and put into our flight planning system. So an individual dispatcher doesn't need to know exactly uh, what's in this document because our flight planning system does it automatically. But you're right uh, in your in your email where there's a lot of flights that leave exactly at the same time out of uh, L.A., San Francisco, and the you know out of California and the West Coast of the United States, heading down to uh, New Zealand and Australia, and a lot of the times they are on the same track. Now it's up to every airline to route their flight and put in a flight plan into the system. Um, in the United States, we have flight dispatchers that. Put together all of the flight paperwork for the pilots, figure out our route, and figure out which way we're going to go to A, best avoid the weather, and B, what our flight planning system says is our most economic route going to our destination. So all of these airlines, and even dispatchers at the same airline, go ahead and we plan our flights, and we put our flight plans in the system. Now, how we stop and prevent each other from running into each other isn't really a dispatch function, but that's an air traffic control function. Even out over the ocean in that, you're still in contact with an air traffic controller. When you look at the Pacific Ocean, most of the Pacific Ocean is controlled by Oakland Oceanic. And I'll have a a photo of Oakland Oceanic's airspace for Jeff and the crew to include into the show notes, as long with a Flight Radar 24 picture of the trajectories of some flights that left last night out of the west coast that were almost on the way into australia just so you can see how how those routes differ or how they're similar so i don't know exactly how oakland oceanic works it's something that i've always wanted to try to figure out how oakland ocean uh, manages their traffic but it's a lot like any other oceanic traffic i believe where they have flight levels and pilots need to make reporting points and the system itself figures out if airplanes are going to hit each other or not and if if it gets to the point where airplanes are even getting close to each other or within the separation limits ATC will provide some sort of route offset or mainly some sort of alternate uh, altitude so airplanes don't get too close to each other so uh, in the end it's all up to ATC to provide the separation We, as airlines, just go ahead and plan our flights the way that we think is the best. And uh, airlines don't talk to each other. I I don't call up any colleagues over at American or Delta or United. We don't talk to each other. We just plan our flights, and that's up for uh, ATC and to uh, manage to make sure that we don't don't run into each other. So I hope this answers your question. Your question has piqued my interest again about the how Oakland Oceanic works. And so I'm going to send out an email to the FAA to see if I can get out to Oakland Oceanic and maybe do a little podcast about how they operate and how us as dispatchers and pilots can help them and try to get some good cross-communication that way. So hopefully they'll answer me, but we'll see. So uh, I hope this answers your question. 
Uh, thanks, Jeff, and the community. And maybe seeing as the APG community is so great, maybe there's someone in a controller out there at Oakland Oceanic or New York Oceanic or any of the oceanic facilities around the world that can provide some feedback to tell us how exactly they prevent airplanes from touching each other while out over the ocean. Wow. Thank you, Mike. Uh, great audio feedback uh, response to uh, Michelle's um, uh, original question. And as uh, Mike said, he included a couple of links uh, for uh, the show notes regarding the FAA's um, air traffic uh, services, uh, UPR flight planning guidance PDF. Mm-hmm. I hope that he's successful in getting some kind of communication going with the uh, Oakland Center and perhaps yeah, uh, that would be centers. great. I mean, yeah, I'd be interested. Basically, too. it's it's a huge procedural uh, um, mishmash. So you, you know, you you uh, air traffic control know which points uh, you're requesting, and if they can, they will clear you through those points at various altitudes, and they know where everyone else wants to go. Uh, it's a little bit more complicated for them than on an organized NatTrack system where uh, they have pre-designated routes. Uh, that's, that makes life a lot simpler. But they basically have to look at the time at which you passed over a point, uh, your uh, speed, and the time that you're estimating the next point, and make sure there's no confliction. Uh, and uh, so it's done procedurally, so... They just go, right, well, this bloke's here at this time. He's going to be there at this time. Is there anyone else that's going to be there at the same time? Uh, and if there is, then they will need to deconflict them by either rerouting them or changing their altitude. Uh, and that's how simple it is. And uh, that's one of the reasons why the tracks, uh, certainly in the old days, were at least 60 miles apart. And you had to have at least 10 minutes of separation time-wise between you and another aircraft because they're relying on everyone just flying basically the right speed at the right time at the right height uh, to deconflict. Um, but now these things are a lot more sophisticated. We've got uh, uh, ADS to uh, help coordinate, uh, and that's one of the reasons that um, uh, the tracks are now getting a lot closer and the time separations are becoming tighter. Uh, because uh, we've got more sophisticated navigation and more accurate navigation, so we can come closer to each other. But basically, it's done procedurally, um, you know, out over there, because there's no radar. Uh, although, in the future, everyone will be able to see each other via their satellite and GPS positions, and that will make life a lot simpler. Yeah. And they also put big rubber bumpers on the airplane, so if you do actually bump into another one, um, it doesn't cause a lot of damage. Yeah, that that helps a lot, actually. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I'm just imagining giant rubber bumpers out on the <laughs> like on the winglets. What was that? <laughs> I think he bumped into <laughs> another airplane. Things that go bump in the night. Yes. All right. Well, thank you uh, again for the feedback, and uh, let's move on to uh, item number twelve. This is from one of our executive producers, who also is a host of a great podcast, Ready for Takeoff. George Nolly. He says, hi, Jeff and team. Hope you're enjoying Osh. Wish I could join you. Yeah, we did. Uh, mm-hmm. Dana mentioned that he always stands at the door after each flight and thanks every single passenger. I think that's great. When I was a captain, I went one step further and I also thanked every married passenger. Ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
Not just the uh, single ones. Well, I appreciate the thanks to the single passengers. I'm still <laughs> I'm sure amongst that crowd. <laughs> uh, going along with um, uh, the uh, aftermath of Oshkosh week, um, greetings APG community. This is from Kelly Kirk. Just wanted to drop a short thank you for the great meetup on Friday, July 26th. And that was the day that uh, Pip and Al and Adam and others uh, got together for the old-fashioned traditional pub quiz uh, at outside of our RV. Uh, I met so many great people, I can't mention them all, but I want to single out Glenn for breaking the ice and introducing me to several people. And I also want to thank Dave as well. So we're talking about Glenn Taller and Dave Abbey, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, he pointed out who was who and also introduced me to RH from op- Opposing Bases. I'm not real comfortable in crowds, and they made me feel welcome. Unfortunately, I could only come on Friday. Hopefully, the next time you all go to Oshkosh, I'll be able to stay for the whole week. My questions for Dana. Okay, well, we're going to have to save this one, I guess, because Dana's not with us. Um, But he is asking Dana, as a CFI, what's your opinion of accelerated flight training, specifically instrument? The training time I have available is very limited, and it appears that uh, this will be my best choice to finish my rating. Second, what do you think about the Piper Warrior as a training platform? Uh, may, maybe Steph can also chime in on this. Well, I'll, I'll wait for it because I think Dana's actually going to have some specific okay. uh, you know stuff what? to say about, especially the aircraft choice stuff. All right, so let me do this. It's probably a good idea to hold it for Dana. I'll stop right there. And Kelly, I hope you don't mind. Um, hopefully Dana will be back on the next show. So we'll make sure that item 13 uh, gets back in the, in the in the churn for uh, the next show. Uh, so with that, um, I'm going to continue on with our new assistant senior executive producer, Tim Qualls from where? Uh, Nick, where is he from? Well, he, he, this choice apparently he could be from Arkansas or Arkansas. Um, I don't know. Is it our Kansas or your Kansas or my Kansas? Says, uh, I'm not sure where I'm from anymore. <laughs> well, poor chap, so confused. Perhaps I, I hope everyone from our I'm Kansas sure it, Nick had nothing way. to do with his level of confusion about where he, he comes from. Do you want to continue he, reading this, uh, Nick? Sure. He goes on to say, I wanted to share a couple of highlights uh, from Oshkosh. Uh, this is my first time, but hopefully not my last, to uh, get up there. Uh, I was on Boeing Plaza one day. Oh, perhaps someone else wants to. No, I'm all right. Oh, I can do this now. I'm a big boy. Um, I was it. on Boeing Plaza <laughs> one day when the air show began. I looked around and noticed everyone, or so it seemed, had stopped and were facing the flag for the national anthem. It was amazing to see so many people in a place that they could have claimed being distracted or not a part of the airshow crowd and just ignore it. But instead of taking the time out, uh, but, but instead taking the time out to salute our great nation, something you don't get to see uh, at a lot of other events and says a lot about the aviation community. Uh, getting to meet all the APG crew, I know I must set my sights low, but getting to meet you all in person was great. We set our sights low, too, when meeting our (laughs) listeners. It's mutual. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Even though I'm probably the least knowledgeable about flying of all your listeners, now I'm pretty sure you're not, but (laughs) let's not go there. Yeah. Each of you treated me just like I was another pilot. 
I did fail to tell Captain Nick how much I enjoyed listening to his plain tales. Oh, well, that's you're dead to me now, then. <laughs> uh, I must have been distracted by his admiration for my amazing Fu Manchu. Well, it wasn't so much the Fu Manchu, which was impressive. It was the um, the ratty, bitten, uh, scabby bits of his moustache, which uh, were, I found very amazing. No, this has no turned kidding. into such a complimentary back-and-forth <laughs> email here. It was, a so fine, much love. it was a fine soup strainer, sir. And uh, you Do should I need be to proud remind you, Nick, that he is a <laughs> assistant senior executive producer? Yeah, but he's not my assistant to the senior executive <laughs> producer. <laughs> no, I, I do like it. Uh, and uh, we had a bit, a bit of a joke about the, the center portion uh, of his uh, mustache. Why is the... The winglets looked great. Uh, the center portion <laughs> the uh, was a little bit, yeah, was a little bit uh, thin on the ground. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, with with uh, a little bit more effort and perhaps the quaffing of more APAs, he'll be able to strengthen that, and it will it will produce uh, an even and very. Um, uh, well, floribundant, yeah. exactly right. Impressive. I didn't tash. realize that APA or IPAs were good for. Oh yeah, mustache. Oh, and you're a doctor. God, <laughs> you should know that. I mean, it's not doing you anything for me. Thank <laughs> <laughs> <My> goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. The whole APG show is something I look forward to each week. He must have a very live a <laughs> quiet life. <laughs> uh, and he really does a great. Uh, job retelling the stories to make them captivating well thank you very much indeed really appreciate that uh thanks for putting on such a well-produced show well you can thank our producer uh that's why this one's so dreadful <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's on her uh, little break <laughs> exactly and may you always have smooth flying and successful landings well i guess that applies to the current pilots uh jim quails um or quals is that jim yeah. quals mm -hmm. i think it's yeah, quals yeah yeah, do you want me to read out his telephone number? Yes, please do. Yeah, so he can get some <laughs> crank calls. <laughs> and we hey, can... that's brilliant. Great feedback, uh, Tim. And I did love your uh, Fu Manchu. It's it's a it's a brilliant uh, moustache, and and it's certainly getting there. <laughs> Very good. And thanks again for uh, joining up uh, at such a high level there uh, for our coffee fun cadre. Oh, golly, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, Thank you. Okay. Um, I think we can fit another one in, uh, said the actress to the bishop. Is that, did I get that right? Oh, very um, good, yes, yes. This is from uh, Rebecca, or Becky, as she's calling herself here in this feedback, and Barbara uh, from Nottingham, uh, England. And uh, they, they uh, recorded a, a little bit of audio for us, and so we're going to go ahead and play that right now. Hey, this is for Airline Pilot Guy. I just checked in to Flight 93 with the lovely Barbara Parish. We've taken an excursion. We've been taking excursions all week. Hello. Um, and uh, so um, yesterday we went to Amish country, and tomorrow we're going to meet up, I think, with Robert Hamish Haggis at the Odvarhazi uh, Center. But here we are at the Tower of Voices. Still no more chimes than there were last fall. Um, I was actually wanted to sit on a bench, but it's hot. My air conditioner in my car is running. <laughs> yeah. So I was going to sit and listen to the chimes so that I wanted to write a song and kind of 
begin to form the melody from the chimes, but I can't. But I took a picture, and apparently it's in the C Lydian mode, and they've chosen five notes. So I guess I'll just have to go home with those five notes and tool around on my keyboard. But uh, just like the day you were here, we drove up in a thunderstorm, and we're leaving in the hot sun. Kind of crazy. Um, but anyway, just wanted to check in. I don't know when the next APG is. Maybe you're taking a week off after such a long time at Oshbat. Oshbash. Oshkosh. Oshbash. Oshblast. I keep calling it the wrong thing. Um, but anyway, just wanted to check in with the lovely Barbara Parrish. Yes. Just want to say hello to all um, my friends from the APG community. Um, well, all the aviation podcast community. Uh, it was so fantastic to see you all at Oshkosh. Um, quite an amazing place. Uh, just amazed by the size of it and the organisation. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm probably going to say a little bit more, maybe, on another feedback with Becky. But um, I've been very moved by the uh, Flight 93 Memorial. Um, it's a beautiful day here, uh, but the um, exhibits and the memorial very very moving uh, very informative as well so um, anyway so I'm sure we'll say hello again soon yeah. uh, Becky's been looking after me really well such a great host fantastic food and Micah I've tried all the food that you suggested including shoe fly pie whoopie pie <laughs> Chicago pizza <laughs> uh, so I'm getting fatter and fatter <laughs> anyway uh, bye for now and uh, speak soon bye bye back to Captain Jeff this is Barbara and Becky from Shanksville oh my thanks for the toss back to the studio girls um, always enjoy hearing both of your voices uh, it was great seeing Barbara at Oshkosh all the way from uh Good old England. Yeah, I was really happy she was able to make that trip because I think it was a little bit of the on the last minute uh, side. Mm-hmm. And sounds like uh, she was getting um, quite a large helping of Americana in uh, the uh, rural Pennsylvania and pizza. Yeah. Well, all the all the culinary. Uh, I think she prepared Americana like some kind things. of a Thanksgiving style dinner or something for her. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Oh, yeah. So. They had early or a late, depending on which way. Yeah, I guess you, you can go either count way. Calendar, <laughs> maybe early. Um, anyway, so oh, by the way, that um, Chicago hot dog mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. was brilliant. Oh, it was great. Oh yeah, the uh, Portillos. I really yes. enjoyed that. Yes, yes, yes. Very good. good. I'm glad you guys yeah. enjoyed yeah. that. The, Gotta uh, have that again. The, yes. The, the beef was it? The, yes, the, the Italian, Italian beef sandwich. Yeah, uh, it was okay, but <gasps> the hot dog was just yeah. The hot dog was definitely. Yeah, the hot dog's the highlight for yeah. sure. Yeah, you should have just said have two hot dogs. Yeah. Or well, have three hot have, dogs. Have two hot. I didn't want you to miss out on the experience of the Italian beef either, though. It's a. Uh, okay. No, you know, not your, not your favorite. You can stick oh, to the hot right. dogs I, next it time. It was just a bit. I could have done with some gravy or something. So you can vary the amount of sauce or uh, juice that they'll put on it. Ah, well, that's why I didn't know that. You should have given me better dis- dis- uh, directions. You ordered it before I could <laughs> no. tell you. That's still your fault, Steph. It's always still an my excuse. Fault. Still always my fault. an excuse. Yeah. Okay. And uh, finally, let's uh, hear from Class Bravo Chris uh, from San Fran. Uh, APG crew, 
I, I added that. Um, I hope you had a great time at Osh Blast. To be honest, you all sounded a bit subdued, except for I Dana. I thought it was Osh Bash. Um, no, it's Osh no, Blast. Osh Blast. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. Nick, read, does it read, say it on the back read of your shirt? Back. <laughs> it's Osh, Osh Blast. Blast. Oh, that's okay, then. I've got it right. <laughs> No, no, you that's why Becky was so confused. You've confused, you've thoroughly confused everyone, Nick. Oh, damn. Again? <laughs> anyway, he says, to be honest, you all sounded a bit subdued, except for Dana cracking open beers on episode 384 in the RV. Still need to listen to 385. Maybe that's when the party started. Yeah, I think you'll find that 385 was a little bit different atmosphere. Definitely. Absolutely. So I travel a lot for business and I hear all kinds of cockpit and flight crew announcements. Frankly, some are slightly offensive. <laughs> I must be talking about mine. <laughs> yes. Uh, here's why. I was born and raised in San Francisco and have grown up knowing that it's not okay to call San Francisco Frisco or San Fran. <laughs> but I hear it all the time on inbound flights and I'll also hear people uh, and also hear people cringing around me when the captains or first officers say it. Uh, it immediately tells us, you know nothing about my hometown and therefore likely don't truly care about your clients. I'm sure every area has these sensitivities. Probably not as much as these people in San Fran have. Anyway, my question um, do you and Dana and Nick previously receive any kind of training on acceptable or unacceptable city nicknames? It seems like a small thing, but it's not. Thanks, as always. You're edging above 50%, especially with Dispatcher Mike. I'd suggest he becomes a permanent cast member. Ugh, I meant to erase that part. I didn't want to say that on the. Uh, on, online on the show. Oh, well, too late. No, yeah. I'm just kidding, Mike. Um, thanks for all your hard work. Yeah. <laughs> Class Bravo Chris, uh, KSQL private pilot. That's San Carlos Airport in the Bay Area of California. Now, I know I used to live out in the Bay Area, uh, and I know that uh, people are quite sensitive to people saying San Fran or Frisco. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I was kind of sensitive to people when I was living in Mobile, Alabama, not Mobile, Alabama, uh, when people mm. would mispronounce that. Uh, but I understood that if they're not from Mobile, they're not going to know it's pronounced Mobile. <laughs> and now I know that's a different thing than having a nickname for a city, you know. Uh, but you know, pronunciation pronunciations is important. are important. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I grew up in Chicago, which is in the state of Illinois, which happens to be spelled ending in an S. Mm -hmm. And then we moved to Salt Lake City and found out that most people out there pronounced it Illinois. Right. And, De and no. Des Moines? Des Moines. Iowa? Or Arkansas. Or Arkansas. There you we go. like Arkansas. That's <laughs> gonna be now, I do, as far as nicknames go, I do... Uh, would encourage you anytime you're landing in Las Vegas to always refer to it as lost wages. That's yes, hilarious. That's a good one. <laughs> always. Yeah. <laughs> Sarcasm. Yeah. Um, uh, what other ones? Bean Town, uh, Boston. Bean Town, ta Bean Town, Chi Town. Chi Town. Um, the uh, uh, there. This is a funny story about nicknames for cities because it turns out that uh, more than one city can have the same nickname which can create confusion for passengers sometimes. Uh, we were landing in Charlotte, um, and the, I don't remember if it was the pilot or the cabin crew, referred to Charlotte as, they said, welcome to the Queen City. And the lady sitting next to me goes, was this a direct flight? And I said, uh, I don't know what you mean or where you <laughs> are intending somewhere? to go or connect. Yeah, I was like, well, we're 
I don't know, we're in Charlotte and it was direct from the place that we just <laughs> came from. And she's like, oh, but the Queen City is Cincinnati and that's where I'm trying to go to. And uh, I have to connect in Charlotte. I said, ah, I, yes, you know, I do more use than one terms, Queen City. I do, do use terms like that, uh, Queen City for Charlotte, but I always say we're going to be flying over the uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, the state capital, the Queen City. You know, so I always make sure that I capital. say Charlotte. It's not the state capital. Oh, shoot. It isn't? <laughs> oh, crap. That's okay. It is the biggest city in the state, but it's not what the state capital. What is the state capital? capital of Raleigh. Oh, crap. I'm surprised <laughs> nobody's ever corrected me. Maybe I don't say that. Maybe I just started saying it right now mm-hmm. during the mm-hmm. show. That's what we're <laughs> going to think. That's, nice bit of backpedaling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This will be all so Chris, taken out in Chris, post. you see how well <laughs> oh, yeah. all these pilots know their geography. I, but to be fair, I, I think that anyone could fall into that trap of it just trying to be cordial and give information and be pleasant sounding and not realize that perhaps it's offensive because there's it's impossible to know every little quirk like that throughout right. the country as large as ours. And no, we do not uh, have a guide at Acme that tells us, you know, what the official nicknames are for all the different cities and what not to call the city. Um, although there have been times that um, I remember early on when I started with Acme that uh, there was some kind of a memo that said, hey, when you're making a PA about going into DFW, which is Dallas-Fort Worth, don't say Dallas. Don't forget to say Fort Worth because it is an airport that is shared and funded by both Dallas and Fort Worth. And so I'm very careful when I look at my Jeppesen plates for the actual official name of the airport. Now, I stay away from the things How about like about Windsor Locks? Like Windsor Locks, I do. I say we're going to be going into Bradley International in Windsor Locks, serving Hartford, Connecticut, and Springfield, Massachusetts, uh, and you know try to get all the big cities in the area in. Um, I uh, also, like for instance, we go into Savannah, but that's the, officially Savannah Hilton Head Island Airport. Mm. And again, if you don't mention Hilton Head Island, that, that might be offensive to people. Go, wait a minute. It's it's not just Savannah. It's also although it's really very much closer to Savannah than Hilton Head Island, but you see that uh, people can be sensitive about these things. And so uh, another one is Fort Lauderdale Hollywood uh, International. I always make sure I say Hollywood um, because again, uh, obviously they are putting in some money funding that airport down there, and that's part of the official name. So I try to remember to. You know, include the or another one, Norfolk, uh, Virginia, Virginia Beach. So um, I try hard, but what I don't do is I don't usually mention the name of a politician that the airport has been named after, because it's just uh, I, I'm just going to so stick with li- the uh, Little Rock. Li- yeah, Little Rock and and Reagan National. And Ra- I don't yeah. say Reagan. I just say Na- you know Washington National. Houston, yeah, uh, Houston. Houston Intercontinental instead of saying you know the George Bush. Now, how about you know, how about Orange? Orange County. It's not. Uh, I usually say, well, I don't fly into Orange County, but if I well, did, yeah, I would true. say Orange County or um, Santa Ana, mm-hmm. Orange County, mm-hmm. um, or maybe all three. So you don't like saying the the name? Of yeah, the I just because it kind of gets, you know, I, uh, you always risk you know offending somebody if you if they don't like the person that the name the, the airport is named for. You know, they don't, I don't like ruffling people's feathers if I can help it. I probably do, but just not intentionally. <laughs> Anyway, so that's enough about slangs and cities, unless you have anything well, to add. All uh, I was going to say was uh, all you've got to do is tell some ex ornery uh, military pilot not to call something something, and <laughs> I can guarantee he will spend the rest of his career 
calling it San Fran or Frisco. So if I were you, I would have just stayed stum because uh, if I was still flying now, every single time I went to San Fran, I'd be calling it San Fran. But uh, that's just me. Uh, you're a bad boy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You are. Well, you see, uh, there's a bit retired. of the Australian in me, and you tell an Australian you don't like something, and he's going to spend the rest of his life <laughs> telling you all about it. So, yeah, best you just stay, you know, stay quiet on the subject. Probably good advice. Uh, suck it up. Okay. Well, I think this is time now for us to end the show. I'm pretty darn sure we're at the three-hour mark, or maybe even past by now. Uh, so um, well, there's a counter at the top of this one that says live for three hours and nine yeah, but we didn't start. You know, seconds. we we had the broadcast yeah. going a little bit, and I think I looked down. I think it was about 44. So we're probably right at about the three. Yeah, hour my record yeah. is uh, three hours and six. Three, so three hours we'll be all right. Yeah. So um, if you want to send us feedback, you can send it to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com, and we also have a website. And that has a lot of good stuff on it, airlinepilotguide.com. And uh, we're also on the uh, iOS and Android platforms. We have apps for that. And so you can check it, on, uh, check it out on your particular um, platform, App Store. And we're also on the social meds. On the social media sites, as you can see on the screen, if you're watching the video, I like this. This is very cool. <laughs> Technology. Wow. wow. You can head over to Twitter.com and we are there using the handle at APG Crew. You can find our individual Twitter handles pinned to the top of the page. Uh, you can also head over to Facebook.com. That's Facebook.com slash Airline Pilot Guy. Both platforms are a great way to interact with not only the crew, but the community. Um, your choice, Twitter's the shorthand version. Facebook can be the long form version of interaction. See you there. Exactly. And we are also on Slack. Hang on. Hello. Hello, are you there? Can you get me a roll of toilet paper? Oh, no. <laughs> I wouldn't go in there for a while, Captain. Come on, come on out and uh, do your thing here, all right? <laughs> APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share ideas and news. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra, Lima, Alpha, Charlie, Kilo, at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled H-I-1-1-E-1, Hotel India, one one Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Where's the soap? Okay. Make sure he washes his hands. Yeah. Sure I don't know. Was, uh, I think he's having trouble with the hand towels. What the heck is on this hand towel, Jeff? <laughs> 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 with that, um, thanks everyone for uh, listening, subscribing, reviewing, uh, watching, all the great things that you do to help support us. Uh, the community is just, you know, there's nothing better out there. And so we do appreciate you. And until next time, wishing you clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds. Take care. And God bless. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody.
I used to be such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline, not a guy I fly friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time but I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline.